listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Welcome in, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. Talk about a busy Saturday night. Three college basketball games still going on throughout the NCAA tournament. As DeSager just told you, Gonzaga and Memphis just tipped off. Arkansas up 28-21 early in the second half. And the St. Peter's Peacocks straight off that win over Kentucky on Thursday night. They are leading Murray State 15 minutes to go in that one. We're going to keep you updated on all of that, plus get you caught up on what you may have missed today. But first of all... Jason Martin, what's going on, man? How are you? Yeah, uh, our producer, Ricky, came on a couple of minutes ago and said to me, hey, man, there's just nothing going on in sports. I don't know what we're going to do. And I just kind of laughed because it's kind of preposterous how much sports has been going on. I've talked to college basketball players this week. They're just like, could we have the NCAA tournament without the NFL deciding to just try to dunk all over it? The answer, by the way, is no. Uh, that's, That's not going to happen, but luckily... We do have multi- We have enough attention spans and we're used to moving around enough that we can watch basketball and still follow crazy happenings in free agency and watch Freddie Freeman go to the Dodgers and all the things that are going on in the world of sports right now. And my wife told me this, Aaron, a couple of days ago. The business of sports is more interesting than the games. And I said, yeah, it's hard to deny that. Like watching free agency and watching some of the things that happen off the field that we talk about – it is hard to deny that sometimes the business can become more addictive than the games themselves. So it's really funny that you say that, and I'm going to go super nerdy college basketball for a second. And, but but you know we're going to talk about the tournament and stuff. But uh, even just in college basketball, uh, for people who love it or even have a team that that they're following, it was interesting because obviously there were some big brands that have already lost. Uh, y- you probably know who I'm talking about, the two seed that lost to the 15 seed that's playing right now. But I bring it up because I follow a few of their. Beat writers, and they've already moved on to transfer portal stuff. Who are we getting out of the portal this offseason? How are we fixing this? How are we getting better? So we got plenty of time to talk Kentucky, but I think even in college sports now with the transfer portal, now you have NFL free agency, NBA free agency, which we've said for years, uh, you know, which we've said for years is more interesting than the regular season. Mm-hmm. The NFL, all the craziness that has happened. I, I think there's something to that, Jason Martin. I really do. I should mention, by the way, we haven't even been on since Tom Brady, th- th- that news happened, which feels like That's a right. million years ago at this point yeah you and i spoke uh, on my radio show here in nashville a few days ago and we were talking about it. i was thinking that saturday we were talking about all sorts of things had no idea in fact i might have said the dumbest thing on this show that i've ever said in <laughs> retrospect because that night i said can we let tom brady retire if he wants to retire little did i know that less than 24 hours later after hanging out with cristiano ronaldo tom brady's like yeah you know what screw them kids i'm going back to the nfl it's really funny you say that. I was actually on air with Dan Beyer uh, breaking down the bracket on Sunday when the news broke. And I see Dan, and I love Dan. We talked about it, so it's not as though Dan was in studio with me, and I see him grab his phone. I see him stare at his phone uh, in a little behind-the-scenes radio stuff. He sprints into the back to talk to the producers. At first, I look at my phone while I'm vamping about some first-round game that no that no longer mattered, uh, looking at my phone, making sure we didn't get a text from the boss that we said something stupid stupid or something like that uh then then i'm worried that something's happened in dan's personal life because why is he looking at his phone and sprinting back and so then eventually our producer ryan bershinger got in our ear uh, in my ear and basically said 
Torres, shut up. Uh, we got to get to br- the breaking news desk. We did, uh, and Tom Brady hijacked the rest of that show. Should mention, by the way, Indeed, hiring heating up. Indeed's hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all in one place. Sponsor or posts and instantly receive a short list of quality candidates on Indeed whose resumes match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. So, Jason, we'll get to the col- uh, or to the NFL stuff in a minute. I do want to start just with a little bit of college hoops because, as mm-hmm. I said, yeah, three games going on right now. Memphis and Gonzaga tied early in that game, just tipped off here a minute ago. Arkansas up six and just a real grinder in the second half. And those St. Peter's Peacocks up eight with 13 minutes to go against Murray State. I'll allow you to take it where you want. Obviously, probably the biggest story of the tournament is St. Peter's beating Kentucky. But today, two pseudo-marquee upsets. I think one definitely was. But uh, Baylor, the defending champ, loses to UNC. UNC was playing well. Baylor's been banged up. I don't think that's as big of a story as the one that I know you have been chomping at the bit to get to uh, on today's show. You and I were on air last week at this time as Tennessee took care of Kentucky in the SEC Championship game playing like one of the hottest teams in college basketball and you were adamant do not trust Rick Barnes do not trust Tennessee well Tennessee falls today to number 11 seed Michigan Michigan advancing to the sweet 16 I assume in our college basketball covers that's probably where you want to start tonight yeah, well, I mean, Baylor, obviously, that UNC game was unreal to watch, to go from a 25-point win, or what looked like it was just going to be a, an absolute blowout, to what happened after the ejection and the the young man from Baylor just really getting under the skin, Rodman style, of UNC on the inside, and they make the comeback and then still end up losing, which I think is quite a gut check for North Carolina to be able to absorb blowing that lead, having to go into overtime against the one seed and still being able to come out with the win. Just from a drama standpoint, I agree with you. I, I kind of didn't have Baylor going very... As a matter of fact, I think I had Carolina beating them. I need to go look at the bracket, but uh, Baylor just wasn't trending in the right direction. Like, But that goes to the Tennessee point. Tennessee was. Tennessee was playing well going into the tournament, What happened to Kentucky against St. Peter's happened to Tennessee today against Michigan. They were terrible from three. They were great from three against Longwood was Tennessee, and they blew them out by 30. Today at one point I looked up and they were two for 15 from three. If they just shoot, you know, 35% from three, maybe they win the game, but unfortunately they didn't. And it's Rick Barnes. I I don't even know how to really do this because I've talked to people in Knoxville. I've, I've thought about this. Rick Barnes does not win in March. He just doesn't. It, it never happened. He couldn't get Kevin Durant out of the first weekend when he was at Texas. He just, this happens all the time. But he's not responsible for two for 15 from three. It's tough, right? So I don't know exactly what to do with this because it felt to me like Tennessee could have won the game. The shots didn't fall. And sometimes, and look, that can happen to literally any team in this tournament. If they show up and the shots don't fall, they're going home. We're going to see it for the next two, three weeks. The team shoots better. I mean, you look at, they had elite defense. Tennessee was an elite defensive team. Didn't matter because they simply couldn't make shots. They got into a couple of rock fights earlier this year, one against Texas Tech that I remember, well, I wouldn't call it fondly because the game was played in the 50s and went to overtime. But that's just not the way they're going to win. They have to shoot well. And they showed up today, didn't, against a team that I think maybe shouldn't have even been in the tournament in place of Texas A&M, considering A&M's run in the SEC tournament, but they got in, and now they've made the most of it, and here they are in the Sweet 16, and Rick Barnes has to sit there again and just give me give the uh, Alfred E. Newman what-me-worry situation because I, I don't know how to spin the narrative. 
I don't know what to say. He, it's it's not his fault necessarily, but it just keeps on happening. So it's really funny that you phrase it that way because right after the game, I, I don't generally delete tweets. Sometimes if there's like major spelling errors or it doesn't make sense, I will. But generally if I just put out a thought, share it, put it out, I don't then delete it. But I, I did put one out that Rick Barnes in his last 10 NCAA tournaments has one second weekend appearance Mm-hmm. And J- Juwan Howard in two NCAA tournaments as a head coach now has two second weekend appearances. And I, I, I put it out because it is kind of an interesting stat that speaks to Rick Barnes isn't a great tournament coach. And then I kind of took it back because I had the same thought that you did. Like, like I'm like, listen, I, I know that we want to blame the coach every time something goes wrong. And I think, by the way, it is applicable much of the time. Uh, hint, hint, wink, wink, nod, nod. We're going to be talking about John Calipari maybe next segment. But mm. I, But I bring it up to say like that was one of those games where it's so tough because yeah you can sit there and say the other team maybe was a little bit better prepared you know Hunter Dickinson the kid from Michigan big kid had 27 points 11 rebounds and you sit there and say was there a better game plan that you could have come up with to slow him down but that is one Jason where I'm actually in agreement with you on this one is I know that there's a historic track record of Rick Barnes not having success in the tournament as I said last 10 NCAA tournament appearances one sweet 16 zero lead eight zero final Fours all coaching, by the way, at either Texas or Tennessee. Not necessarily, you know, blue blood programs, but not at the same time the type of programs that uh, you know aren't capable of making a deep run. I mean, we're not talking about St. Peter's here or Murray State here or anything like that. So that's where. I'm kind of torn with this Tennessee thing because they came in so hot. They were a favorite. We spent so much time, and I'm sure you on your show throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, spent so much time talking about being seated and misseated and all the great things they did during the regular season. Um, but I don't I don't know that you can blame the coach on this one. I don't think that he did anything egregiously wrong. I think his guys just didn't make enough plays. I mean, I agree. Look, Dickinson's a really good player. Uh, he's a solid basketball player. I don't think that they played him poorly. I just think he got his. And if you go in and he gets you 27, the problem was Brooks got you 23. I think that was the bigger thing. You knew Dickinson was going to probably get his. But let's just be real. They, I said they were 2 of 15 at one point. I didn't realize they would make another three after that. They shot two for 18 from three, Aaron. They were yep. 11% from three. Like, I don't know what to say. If these were contested shots that were difficult, I would say, okay, Barnes has got to stop them from doing this. They've got to find a way to move the ball around. A lot of these were open threes. They were good looks. They just didn't drop. I, I don't know. They shot 83% from the free throw line, but they didn't make enough threes. It's really that simple. They lost by eight as a six and a half point favorite or whatever around the time the tip happened. I can't really blame Rick Barnes for a team shooting 11% from three. That's a stat line that is going to get absolutely anybody beat in this tournament. I don't care how good they are, how many NBA players they've got on the floor. If you shoot 11% from three, you're probably going home. Well, and the problem is, too, uh, they were great defensively all year, as you said. They held opponents to 39% shooting from th- from the field. Michigan shoots 50% from the yeah. field. And then, oh, by the way, uh, Michigan also out-rebounded Tennessee as well. Tennessee was a very good rebounding team throughout this season. So, Tennessee falls. Uh, I know you mentioned the North Carolina game really quick. 
like anything super major come out of that game for you? I mean, it was crazy. I will say it wasn't to me a fun watch. Like, like people are like, oh, this is vintage March. I'm like, yeah, this, no. this is terrible basketball. Yeah. I'm like, get this off. There was a moment in overtime where it looked like it was over and then they had to go back to the monitor. I'm like, just end this game. For people who didn't see, North Carolina was up 25 points. Uh, a kid named Brady Manick, who was just lights out playing insane basketball, gets thrown out because of a, uh, you know. I, I because he it, retaliated. I mean, yeah. the guy, he, he look, Rodman instigated this. And Robin, in this case, was Sochan. And then Sochan did it to another player and tried to get somebody else thrown out on like the next play. He was in there playing the irritant role. And unfortunately for, as you mentioned, Monik, who had 26 points at the time, he retaliated out of frustration because he so he had been bodied up in a physical. And look, it was kind of a dirty way, but it's always the guy that gets caught that retaliates. So it was a nice play by the Baylor kid just to try and, and draw him in and sucker him in, and he did. And from that point forward, it was all Baylor pretty much until you got to overtime. Yeah, uh, UNC's uh, UNC's point guard Caleb Love also did fall out of that game. So uh, Baylor, or excuse me, North Carolina was up twenty five points in the second half, about eight minutes to go. Uh, and you just talk about just a sloppy, sloppy, sloppy game. North Ugh. Carolina finishing with twenty one turnovers. I swear, all twenty one came in the last like seven minutes of the game or overtime couldn't dribble the ball couldn't get past half court but they survive Baylor the defending champs are officially out of the tournament Uh, coming up we'll continue the conversation on college hoops I do want to talk a little bit of Calipari before we get to Deshaun Watson everything that happened in the NFL Uh, Aaron Torres Jason Martin busy busy night we'll keep you updated on all these college basketball games three still going on this is Fox Sports Radio Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a busy Saturday night. We all of a sudden have a very interesting window Mm -hmm. of games now. So Gonzaga, it's still early in the first half, but Memphis up 27-25. It appears as though they're taking a technical foul shot. I did not see what happened there. We'll keep you updated on that. Arkansas, the four seed in the West who would play Gonzaga, slated to play each other in the next round. They are tied now with 10 minutes left against New Mexico State, 30-30 to with 10 minutes left of the entire game. Horrible game, Aaron. New Mexico State had more turnovers almost in the first half than they did points. At one point, they had 12 turnovers and 13 points with like two minutes left. Or maybe it's like one, I think it's like 115 left in that first half. They ended up with 18 points. Now they've only turned the ball over like twice in the second half. But you want to talk about a rock fight. First to 35 might win that game in a trip to the Sweet 16. So it is 30 to 30. And I will say this as a UConn fan, um, I, I don't want to say I saw this coming, but the way that they played UConn, you knew they weren't going to back down from anybody. So we'll keep you updated on that. Nine minutes left, tied at 30. And then the other one, Murray State making a little bit of a run. Seven minutes left in that game. They're down by three to St. Peter's. St. Peter's, of course, the team that beat Kentucky. Real quick, Jason, um, I, I know it's three nights ago now but it remains I think the biggest story in college basketball uh, and by the way we'll keep you updated on all that Gonzaga stuff and, and everything else going on and of course if something happens with Gonzaga we're going to have to have a conversation one way or another on them as that game is 31-28 but really quickly um, I, you know I don't know where you are on Calipari we've talked about a lot of different things mm-hmm. but John Calipari obviously Kentucky 
two seed coming into this tournament, great regular season, beat Kansas, all that great stuff at Kansas. They fall in overtime to this St. Peter's team that now has a three-point lead potentially to go to a Sweet 16. I'll tell you this, um, you know, one, this was obviously by far the most shocking upset so far in this tournament. Um, you know, you look at kind of just the stuff on St. Peter's. I mean, th- there are scenarios, even in, in games where you have a two or a three seed playing another team, uh, a 14, 13, 15 seed, whatever it might be. There are scenarios where you can see the upset coming. If you looked at St. Peter's coming into that game, there was no scenario that you could make the legitimate case that St. Peter's could win that game. Uh, Instead, they do. Calipari, now this is the third straight tournament where he has lost to a lower-seeded team. Third straight tournament, pretty devastating loss. Uh, You go back to 2019, he lost to Auburn in the Elite Eight. They had just beaten Auburn about two weeks earlier in the regular season and had beaten them twice. Then in 2018, uh, Kentucky lost in the Sweet 16 to a nine-seed Kansas State. Keep in mind, by the way, they're coming off basically their worst season in history last year, uh, finishing 9-16 and 16 overall. What'd you make of Thursday night, Jason, as John Calipari takes another bad loss? And by the way, that is one, in my opinion, and you could tell me if you feel differently. We talked in the first, uh, first segment about it's hard to blame Rick Barnes, the coach of Tennessee, when your team just misses foul shots. I think that one was 100% on John Calipari on Thursday. So... Kentucky, what, hasn't been to the Final Four since 2016, I think it is. 2015. 15. Uh, haven't won the title since Anthony Davis, is that right? Is that 2012? 2012, a decade, yes. So, they're pretty far removed from being where Kentucky fan expects his and her team to be year after year. But, I'm certainly not going to say that the upset is not an upset. It's a huge upset. It is. like We could rank it wherever we want to rank it, but it's definitely way up there on the list. But if you look at it down the stretch, was Kentucky playing all-world basketball in the last month of the season? We talked about this last week, Aaron, as it related to Duke. Duke's still in this tournament right now. We'll see how far they go. But this is a team that had to outlast Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament. It's a team that lost to Arkansas, a team that lost to Tennessee twice, uh, a team that barely beat LSU, who it's not like they were throttling teams. They weren't playing their best basketball. They had dealt with some injuries. And then there's this scenario, Aaron, and you know this probably better than virtually anybody in the country because of how much you love college basketball. The one and done has its pitfalls. The idea of having to basically recreate your roster every year has its pitfalls. Often it's a slower start because they're trying to build chemistry. And then sometimes you get into the tournament and the mix just isn't right. It doesn't even matter how much talent is there. The mix just isn't right. But again, if you go to the game itself and look at the statistics in the St. Peter's loss in overtime where they actually still almost found a way to pull that thing off, what I talked about with Tennessee shooting 11% from three, well, Kentucky was four or 15. That wasn't too much better. I mean, 11% and 26% a little bit different. But St. Peter's shot 52.9. And basically what St. Peter's did, and you saw it, Aaron, is they dared Kentucky to make jump shots. They gave them the space to take jumpers, and they buried them with them because Kentucky couldn't make shots. That's not saying that Calipari coached his best game or anything. It is to say that we do have to, we do have to look at some things and say, what's happening on the floor is relevant. The guys that are on the floor do have to make their shots. They do have to execute the game plan In this case, I think there was blame to go around. The bigger question isn't why they lost. The bigger question is, how warm is the seat for John Calipari at this point? Is it warmer than it's ever been? 
is Kentucky fan getting a little bit antsy, a little bit anxious about the fact that they're getting further and further away from the last time they made a Final Four, and that's just not okay at the University of Kentucky. Well, and that's the question, and I think you're right. Is is To me, I use the game more as a metaphor for the fact that uh, it's hard to argue that this this is no longer a one year trend. Like this is it, any team can get upset in any given year. I mean, if you want to call this an upset, Gonzaga, who's been as consistent as anybody, is down six right now with three minutes left in the first half. So anybody can get upset in any given season. My point would be, and I think we're both in the same direction. It's not like it's my only my point, but like, right. but like. Is that this is now, as you said, it's been seven years since since you made a Final Four. And keep in mind, there was one non-NCAA tournament in there. But the last three losses, I think a Kentucky fan would call, in, the last three tournament losses, a Kentucky fan would call inexcusable. And then beyond that, you have a season mixed in where you had the worst regular season in school history. So you really got to start going back to 2017, where you really feel like you were in a scenario where, okay, if we get a, a bounce this way, a bounce that way, uh, things are different. And so so you're right is is that uh, listen he has by technicality a lifetime contract my understanding is another year or two they can probably get out of it pretty you know they can get out of it somewhat without without having to pay him a ton a ton a ton of money um but the bro- the bottom line is you know you're at a school where uh, I don't want to say it's national championship or bust, but you can't it's go. It's pretty close. It is, and you can't go seven. It, it, and here's the other thing, too, and I made this analogy yesterday on the Doug Gottlieb show. To me, it, it it's not that you have to go to the Final Four, you have to win national championship everywhere, every year. But there is a way in which you can lose, in which it's, it, it is acceptable to the fan base. I use the analogy. To me, right now, and I know the history isn't as bad, but they're the Dallas Cowboys. Where the Dallas Cowboys, they're good, mm-hmm. they're good enough, they get in, but when it's time to make a play, when it's time to win the game that you have to, they haven't done it for about six or seven years now. And so that, to me, is where they are at, where Calipari isn't getting fired, but if you're going to lose in the NCAA tournament, which all but one team does, there's a way it can happen. You can lose maybe to Purdue in the Sweet 16, which is in your bracket. You could have lost to Baylor in the Elite Eight. You could have lost in the Final Four to another good team. But to lose to St. Peter's when you're a a two seed, you have a coach, and this is the other part too, he gets paid $8.5 million a year. There's no excuses for losing to a 15 seed when you're getting paid $8.5 million a year, especially to the team that they lost to. That's right. And St. Peter's right now with a four-point lead with under five minutes to go. Maybe another 15 with a chance to make the Sweet 16. We'll see. Murray State's won over 30 games for a reason, and that's definitely within striking distance. It's just that... There are many schools that can get away with this, but how many times can Kentucky get away with this before the fans have had enough? The running joke in this part of the country, Aaron, as soon as they lost was, well, at least Alabama's playing football this fall because nobody's a Kentucky football fan. Kentucky basketball fans are also Alabama football fans. That's the long-running joke around here. Even though Mark Stoops has done a good job, and I think it's kind of an outdated sort of joke, but Kentucky's not a team that can can afford to do this after last season and after just it's just kind of been mediocre and we can kind of date back to the idea that the the strategy that Calipari used to put these teams together other coaches and other programs have adopted and so it's not quite the same as it was 12 13 years ago when it was John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins another team by the way that did not reach a final four they got beat by Wisconsin I believe it was in the elite eight in that tournament I do think that it that John Calipari, the way he's doing this, it's difficult 
I wouldn't want to coach an entirely new roster of young men every single year because the mix has to be perfect. They had a lot of talent here. They didn't shoot the ball well, and St. Peter's had a nice game plan. They were well coached, and they were able to win that game. When it went to overtime, didn't everybody think Kentucky was going to win that game? Like The fact that St. Peter's wasn't able to close it out and finish it in regulation, you thought for sure they were going to win, but they didn't. And that that speaks to St. Peter's, but it also speaks a little bit to Kentucky. Kentucky's got to have a killer instinct, and that's the thing I think the program has been missing as of late. It's just this feeling that it's inevitable. Kentucky is no longer inevitable. There is no Thanos to be found in a Wildcats uniform anymore, Aaron. Yeah, and that that's kind of the last thought, too, is I think that that's part of the issue with this Kentucky situation is that this year they didn't go one and done. And for years, Calipari, every time they lose, well, you know, we're the youngest team in the country, and sometimes the ball bounces your way and sometimes it doesn't. Well, last offseason they hit the transfer portal hard. Uh, they still come up short, shorter than they ever have. And uh, I think that's where the frustration is with the fans is, is that – there is no major change to be made. They shook up the coaching staff last offseason. They changed the recruiting philosophy, and it is the same result. Jason Martin, Aaron Torres, Fox Sports Radio. We got a lot going on in these games right now. No better time than for the first time this evening on our show. Let's bring in Steve DeSager. What's trending? DeSager, I know what's trending, but I want to know from you. Hello, gentlemen. We've got number one ranked Gonzaga down 10 late in the first half against Memphis. This is the late game in tonight's second round action of the NCAA tournament in Portland. It's Memphis 38-28 in the lead for the top-ranked Gonzaga Bulldogs. Chet Holmgren, uh, to say the least, a likely NBA lottery pick, is one for two shooting. Two points, two fouls, two turnovers, two blocks in the first half. St. Peters is leading by five now. Three minutes left. The 15 seed is ahead of Murray State, 62-57. Until a moment ago, St. Peters from three-point range was two for ten, but they just hit a clutch three. You know, Murray State, since they expanded the field in the mid-1980s, 0-4 in the round of 62. One of those winless, like New Mexico and St. Louis, they say, winless in the round of 32 over that span. Uh, Creighton, for example, was just 1-6 and six in this round since 1985. We'll get to the Creighton loss in a moment. And poor shooting in the Arkansas game, but the Hogs are winning with six minutes left against New Mexico State. It's 41-33, 6-0-6 remaining. The two teams from three-point range, Arkansas 3 of 15, New Mexico State 3 of 21 from long distance. Number one Kansas in the Midwest region will face Providence in the Sweet 16. Kansas eliminated Creighton 79-72. The Providence win was 79-51 over Richmond. 11-seed Michigan is still alive after beating the three-seed in the South Tennessee, 76-68, and the Wolverines trailed with about four minutes left. North Carolina led the top seed in its region, Baylor, by 25 with about 10 minutes left in regulation. Blew that and still won in overtime, 93-86. So we've got a North Carolina U. UCLA matchup Friday in Philadelphia in the Sweet 16. The Bruins down St. Mary's 72-56. The bad news for UCLA, Jaime Jaquez, who had 15 points first half tonight, limped off with an ankle injury. In the NBA, just four games. They're all four final. LeBron James is now the number two scorer all-time in NBA regular season history. He passed Carl Malone tonight. He had 38 points. 
Lakers blew a 16-point lead and lost again, this time at Washington, a team that had lost six in a row. 127-119, the Lakers record 30-41 and this season. Home victories also for Cleveland, Charlotte, and for Minnesota, which has won 10 of 11. NHL among the 11 games, Nashville a 6-3 winner against Toronto. The Titans acquired wide receiver Robert Woods from the Rams for a sixth rounder. The Rams gave quarterback Matthew Stafford a four-year extension. The Minnesota Twins signed shortstop Carlos Correa from Houston. The Marlins gave outfielder Jorge Soler a three-year deal. It includes two opt-outs. He can also, of course, DH, which is in the National League these days as well. Under a minute to go first half, number one ranked Zags down 38-28 to Memphis. Back to you. Thank you, Steve Sager. This is Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Busy Saturday night. DeSager just caught you, got you caught up on all things college hoops, and we'll keep you updated. But I'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little NFL, Jason, because as you said, uh, this free agency period has basically taken over. It has become March Madness in its own right. Should mention uh, Matt Verderam from Fansided will join us next hour to break down some of this stuff. But Let's just rip through some of these stories, and we can revisit them throughout the show. First of all, Deshaun Watson's probably the biggest news of the last couple days, but I mean, there's no bigger story in sports maybe in 2022 than the unretirement of Tom Brady. So, uh, you know, everybody's giving out their hot takes. It's almost a week old at this point, but where were you? What were you doing? How did you find out that Tom Brady was officially coming back to the NFL? I was about to eat dinner, and I was watching a bracketology special <laughs> sure and then i saw an email talking about odds changing and i realized what they were and i went to espn and saw what had happened and then adam Schefter interrupted the bracketology broadcast to talk about tom brady and then i started to think to myself okay well he's been retired for 40 days that's cur- that's certainly long enough for him to be away from the nfl i think the more interesting thing was that there wasn't all that much to say about it this week because there's only one take to me that's relevant other than just this is all he knows is football. His kids are a little bit older now. I heard Colin Cowherd mention a couple of days ago his kids have options too. Like his, his, his kids aren't, it's not like he's missing time with newborns and all this other kind of stuff. Like it's a little bit different now and his wife is not home all that often. So this whole idea of him not wanting to be around his family, it's funny, but it's probably not all that relevant. The bigger thing is just he loves football. And he looked around at the NFC and said, why in the world can't I win another one? Because it's Aaron Rodgers, but Russell Wilson departed. It's Matthew Stafford who got his bag on Saturday from the Rams. But outside of that, like, what else were you really particularly worried about? Dak Prescott? Kirk Cousins and his $230 million career earnings? Like, look around the conference. If I'm Tom Brady, yeah, the Rams won the Super Bowl, but we almost came back and beat them in the playoffs, and we didn't have Chris Godwin in that game. We had banged-up players all over the place. I was an MVP candidate that easily could have actually won it based on my performance on the field. I almost won another Super Bowl. Why not? If I'm bored, if there's nothing else for me to do, and I was still playing at that level, and I'm not in the AFC... If I'm Tom Brady, I can understand why he would unretire. I just wonder why he retired in the first place because I don't think he ever really wanted to stop playing. So, one, I don't think he ever wanted to stop playing either. I do think what ended up happening was the story got leaked, and I think he did feel pressure. Um, And it sounds stupid, but when literally he probably at that point in his life 
couldn't go. I mean, he probably couldn't leave the house without somebody. So you can't when you're Tom Brady, you can't go to the supermarket as it is. But anywhere you go, everybody is going to be bugging you. I think he was probably leaning towards retirement. I think he felt obligated to do it. But I, I agree with you is that it's one of those where I don't want to say there's no interesting angle. But but to me, my read on it was very similar to yours. First of all, and I think this is important, like there's a lot of guys that play professional. There, there's some guys that play professional sports just for the paycheck and for the things that the sport does for them. There's also a lot of guys that even that love the sport don't love it at such a maniacal level as Tom Brady. Uh, you know, it was funny. I was talking to my my sister-in-law was kind of asking me about it the day after. And I said, look, uh, I get wanting to this guy, his entire life is football. I mean, I, I said to her, and I truly believe it is, if you asked him in a normal offseason prior to this one, what are you doing June 11th at 2.30 p.m.? He would have an answer. This is my June routine. This is my May routine. This is my stretching routine. This is my diet routine. This is when I can drink alcohol. This is when I can't. And so to go from being that regimented 24 hours a day, basically 365 days a year, to nothing, that was why I always thought he would come back. Now, I thought he might take a year off in between. But the second part, Jason, is I think the important part, too. Everybody wants to focus on being 44, going into your your, uh, your 45 year but he's playing great and he looks great. I mean, this isn't Tom Brady. Uh, this isn't Peyton Manning with your Denver Broncos limping off the field with a bum shoulder, where basically the defense and run game carried him to that Super Bowl win. Tom Brady was maybe the best quarterback in the NFL last year, and so because of it, it's it's as I said a minute ago. Is I thought he was going to come back. I'd be lying if I said I thought it would be this quick. I, I thought there was a possibility it could be by the, by the the middle of the spring, end of the spring, into the summer, kind of in on that Brett Favre timeline. Uh, but I'm not shocked. I'm really not. And and I personally, and maybe it's a conversation we have after the break. I have no fundamental issue with it. I know people always oh, old, stay home. I don't know. If you're healthy enough and you love it and you can do it, I have no problem with you coming back and doing it. No, I agree with you. I would just say this. He he got the dream. We all would love to be able to attend our own funeral, hear people talk about us, and then come back from the dead. <laughs> and that's what he did. Like, he retired. He got the tributes all over every network. We had people crying. We had analysts crying. We had all these great stories. We had Tom Brady all over the NFL Network, his best games, his best performances. Everybody waxing poetic about how he and Jordan are the two most important athletes in American team sports history and all this kind of stuff. And he sat back and watched that, and he was like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to come back. So he was able to literally be a fly on the wall where he was the conversation post-career and then come back knowing how people felt about him. How rare is that? Uh, it's relatively unprecedented. I have one more thought on Tom Brady. We're going to get to that coming up. Should mention, by the way, crazy slate of college hoops right now. Arkansas holding on for dear life up 44-40 with four minutes to go against New Mexico State. You heard that correctly. Four minutes left, 44-40 against New Mexico State. Gonzaga trailing by 10 at the half to Penny Hardaway's Memphis Tigers. Murray State down by five by four with about one minute left against St. Peter's. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin will keep you updated on college hoops, and I want to talk a little bit more Tom Brady. This is Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Busy Saturday night. We have one game final. The St. Peter's Peacocks, baby. 
Mm. They beat Kentucky the other night, 85-79 in overtime. They just beat the Murray State Racers, 70-60. St. Peter's, a 15 seed, advancing to the NCAA tournament, Sweet 16. They are the third number 15 seed in tournament history to advance. The other two, Florida Gulf Coast in 2013, I believe it was, and then Oral Roberts last year. So, had never happened it happened one time, I should say, until last year. Now we've had it twice in two years, Jason. Yeah, and look, they own the state of Kentucky. That's obvious. I, I was thinking that, yeah. I mean, maybe they just go ahead and find a city, go to Elizabethtown, and go ahead and set up shop there because they took out Lexington and they took out Murray. They took out two teams that were sure they were going to be playing each other. Oh, yeah. Kentucky and Murray State, in-state. Oh, it's going to be a great matchup. St. Peter said, nah, nah. Peacock might not be a streaming service that is near mm-hmm. to the Netflix Hulu land, but this Peacock, this Peacock showing its feathers right now. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. The Florida Ghost, Gulf Coast runs one I'm never going to forget because of that Georgetown game. That Otto Porter Georgetown team that so many people loved, and then Dunk City just showed up, dominated, and then Andy Enfield used that to find his way to USC where he just, just gotten extended and everything else. But we usually see... These lower seeds, if they do win these games, then perform horribly in the next round and give you a bad round of 32 matchup. This is kind of more like the madness that you expect. Like you mentioned that UConn game and kind of what you were anticipating coming out of that. Well, look, Iowa losing. Their opponent got absolutely drubbed as well in the second game. So that happens more often than not. St. Peter's, I don't think the vast majority of the people watching basketball the vast majority of the people watching sports, the vast majority of the people breathing in this country knew that St. Peter's even existed as a university until Thursday, and now they're in the Sweet 16. And you look at a team like a defending champion or a three-seed or a two-seed Kentucky or Gonzaga, at least for right now, down 10 at the half, and you just say, all right, this is March, man. Everything about the regular season is just giving yourself a chance. It gives you one last chance at doing something special in St. Peter's right now, the story of the whole tournament. St. Peter's University, a Jesuit private school in Jersey City, New Jersey, founded in 1872, 2,600 undergraduates. The Peacock, of course, is their, uh, is their, um, is their mascot. I'm trying to look for notable alums. Nobody's really jumping out here. Um, Bob Hurley, the the father of Bobby Hurley, not Bobby Hurley, but Bob Hurley went to St. Peter's, uh, and a couple other. There, there's a couple other people that you've never heard of. The Wikipedia page is a little thin on notable alums from St. Peter's. So, congratulations to the St. Peter's Peacocks. As I said, third number one, third number fifteen seed in NCAA tournament history to advance to a Sweet Sixteen. Two games going on now. Arkansas up six with a minute and a half to go, and Gonzaga trailing. The Memphis Tigers, 41-31 here at halftime. That is, of course, the final game of the night. Really quickly, Jason, just one more thing on on Brady. And by the way, we'll lead Hour 2 with Deshaun Watson. And as I said, uh, in the middle of Hour 2, Matt Verdeem will be joining us here to discuss uh, all things NFL. I think you, you already said it, but I just want to confirm. 
any fundamental issue with him just coming back as a 44-year-old man. Uh, me and my wife got into a pretty heated discussion. Not, not in a bad way, but she kind of felt like, okay, your time has passed. You're 44. You have your health. You have 30 to 40 more years with your kids and with your wife. You need to step away. Uh, I kind of come at it from the perspective of, first of all, I- I'll say this. Let me even backtrack. I don't think, I, one, I don't think he wanted to retire, but I don't think that he comes back if he doesn't have the full support of uh, of his wife, if he doesn't have the full support of Giselle, if he doesn't have the full support of his kids. So people saying that it's selfish of him to return, uh, I'm guessing that it was probably uh, not done without his family's support. I would say so. I would say the, the one thing that the scenario that I could have seen happening, and I actually suggested this earlier this week, Aaron, you, you just close your eyes and think about this. They're at breakfast. He's eating his bowl of almonds or whatever it is that he eats. He's there, Giselle's in front of him, the kids are there. He's got his head down. He won't shut up about the fact that they could have won the Super Bowl. He's just like, man, we had it, man. The Rams got us. All this kind of stuff. He's like, he just, he looks miserable. He looks like Robert Pattinson for the first 240 of Batman. And it finally, Giselle's like, do you want to go back and play? I think you should go back and play. Why don't you go back and play? And Brady was already out the door before it was over. That could have happened. Indeed, if cold call candidates aren't turning into hot hiring leads, then you need Indeed because Indeed's powerful hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all from one place. Find your next great hire visiting Indeed.com slash credit. Coming up, we talk to Sean Watson, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio. Welcome in, everybody. Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Crazy Saturday night. DeSager just told you. The St. Peter's Peacocks, 15 seed, advance to the Sweet 16. They beat Kentucky on Thursday. They take care of Murray State here on Saturday night. They are going to the Sweet 16. Arkansas up three. Ten seconds left to go, shooting a free throw to go up four. The Arkansas Razorbacks, of course, the four seed in the East region. Ten seconds left in that game. Hiring Heating Up, Indeed's hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all in one place. Sponsor a post and instantly receive a short list of quality candidates on Indeed whose resumes match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. And speaking of Indeed, with the tournament in full gear, be sure to check out the Bracket Challenge standings at Fox Sports Radio for Fox Sports Radio's Million Dollar Bracket Challenge, powered by Indeed. Uh, College basketball is just insane. Arkansas now, New Mexico State, just since I started talking about Indeed, has cut the lead to two, 2.6 seconds left in that one. We'll keep you updated as it goes final. And I should mention Matt Verderam from Fansided will be joining us here just momentarily to discuss uh, to discuss the NFL. Really quickly, Jason, I, I mean, first of all, how insane is this, this slate of Saturday college basketball? I mean, it, it, this has been pretty freaking crazy. It has been, and that's what you want. That's exactly what you want, as a matter of fact. A lot of times around the 32 isn't as exciting. We've gotten some good ones today. The early one, I mean, at least it was a dramatic game. It went to overtime. I'm glad it didn't go to double overtime. Yes. Glad we got that thing out of there. Uh, I mean, the Tennessee-Michigan game was a very entertaining basketball game to watch that, w- that had its ebbs and flows. Kansas had to earn their win big time. They were in a little bit of trouble. I think the nightcap could be the one that everybody is talking about if indeed – uh, things continue the way they are right now. Credit to Penny Hardaway and the way that Memphis has turned it around down the stretch in the season. Right now, they're the very definition of the kind of team you don't want to see. But I did see Gonzaga in a dogfight in round one. Then there was an and one situation that put them up by five. And the next time I looked up, they were up 18. 
So it's a team that can't explode, so Memphis is going to have to hold on and, and fight hard and play for another 19 minutes if they want to knock out the one seed here. But, look, New Mexico State, you know all about it, Aaron. Mm-hmm. You, you sat there and watched it on Thursday. I'm not saying that to be... No, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not being snarky. I'm just saying, like, they're still in this thing. It's a rock fight again. This game has been offensively challenged, to say the least. But... Arkansas could be if I mean let's see Auburn's another team wasn't trending particularly well going down the stretch of the season Arkansas could be the last remaining SEC team playing and I don't think people had that when we were going into the tournament yeah uh, SEC is now down to Arkansas and Auburn which will play tomorrow Uh, Arkansas three-point lead here two seconds left Chris likes at the foul line if he makes this free throw basically the game will essentially be over Uh, and you mentioned Gonzaga too by the way uh, down 10 points now with uh, down now it's cut to seven with about 18 minutes left. New Mexico State, to your point, I'll say this: as Arkansas will hold on, it appears mm-hmm. New Mexico State has thrown the ball out of bounds. Arkansas going to hold on. I'll say this: um, as somebody who watched New Mexico State do this to my alma mater. Uh, I was I was I was uh, not hosting. I was a guest on Arkansas radio this week, and I said, if you do not come out, if you do not come out ready to play, Arkansas fans, uh, Razorbacks Nation uh, fans, players, coaches, whatever, New Mexico State's going to do the same thing to you. Uh, New Mexico State basically uh, has done it to Arkansas. As Arkansas does survive, they will go to the West Regional. Oh, it looks as though there was a foul, but Arkansas four, they're going to advance. But I will tell you this. Um, I saw this. I don't want to say I saw this exact result coming, but I said if Arkansas doesn't come out ready, New Mexico State's going to keep it tough. They have indeed, and it appears as though they're going to win in advance to their second straight second weekend of the NCAA tournament. So crazy night of college hoops, man! Crazy night of college hoops. No doubt. By the way, Gonzaga's tightening it up. That's what I was just going to say. The second that I turned my my head on Gonzaga, uh, all of a sudden uh, it is now a five point game. Gonzaga making a run. I'll tell you this, too, for betters. Uh, Arkansas was a six-point favorite. If they make this foul shot, it's going to go at six. That is the worst push ever Mm. if you had New Mexico State in this one. So Arkansas is going to advance to the West Regional Finals, uh, and we'll keep you updated on Gonzaga, which is the final game of the day. Jason, be remiss if we didn't hit on the biggest story of the last probably 36 hours or so. I was on air for the Doug Gottlieb show. Doug Gottlieb uh, was was doing tournament coverage, and Dan Beyer and I were on yesterday. And we had some Deshaun Deshaun Watson stuff planned. Could he go to Carolina? Had been sort of eliminated at that point. Could he go to Atlanta? Could he go to New Orleans? And he signs with the Cleveland Browns, who he had eliminated a day before. I asked you last hour, where were you? What were you doing? How did you find out that Tom Brady was going back to the NFL? Well, where were you? What were you doing? How did you find out that Deshaun Watson, 24 hours after he basically says, I'm good, Cleveland, appreciate your time, it's not you, it's me, thank you, but no thank you, then we find out 24 later, 24 hours later that uh, Deshaun Watson is going to be a Cleveland Brown. Yeah, uh, my producer, my daily producer, and my friend sent me a message, and he and he said and he told me that, and I was just like, wait a second, does anybody that covers this league know anything? Yes, because that's all I heard, right? Like when we were burying the Browns on Friday for everything and saying, I was basically saying, look, I'm much more sympathetic to Baker Mayfield right now than I am the Browns, and the Browns have royally just 
screwed themselves. They look terrible. The optics are bad. Deshaun Watson doesn't want to be there. Baker, you've made him feel like the worst human being in the world, saying you need an adult in a room and all this. Now you don't get the guy. It looks like a disaster. Deshaun Watson informs the Browns, according to everything I read, that they were out of it. And then it sounded for sure like it was the Saints because he was meeting with them for a second time and they were clearing all this cap space. It's like, okay, well, it's just a matter of time. All the reports were that they were it was going to get done over the weekend, that they were finishing the touches on that and everything else. And then came the Falcons deal with Matt Ryan and them kind of delaying his roster bonus under the assumption he potentially was going to be traded maybe to Indianapolis or something like that. They, everything was there, but Cleveland was out of it. And then Cleveland was the team that ended up with him. I was blown away by it because it was just like there are so many people that do nothing in their jobs but try to get scoops like this, <laughs> and all of them got this wrong. Like every article I read, every media person that covered this got it wrong, and it was just like, how? What happened here? What changed in this 24 hours? How did these people get snowed so poorly? That's I was more baffled by that than I was the fact that he went to Cleveland because it made sense on paper why he would go to Cleveland originally. It's like, yeah, there's some talent there. There's a good defense there. There's a young, offensive-minded head coach there. I could see potentially wanting to go to the Cleveland Browns. I could also see wanting to go to the NFC. But I understood it from a roster standpoint, but it was just totally thrown out the window by everybody that covers the league and all of them, Aaron. All of them were wrong. Okay, so let me let me play devil's advocate because you're you're not wrong in that analysis. Um, what I would also say though is, I tend to believe that the information that they had was accurate at the time, and things changed. And there's two reasons why I believe that. I don't really blame the NFL media and insiders because they did get this one wrong, and because they did tell us one thing, and then 24 hours later it was another thing. First off. I don't think that I think the Cleveland Browns thought they were out of it because if you remember 20, 36 hours ago, which doesn't isn't that long ago, but seems like a lifetime ago, uh, Baker Mayfield demanded a trade, mm-hmm. and then the Cleveland Browns said, "We're not trading you." Uh, by the way, I don't know if you're a Seinfeld guy. Kind of reminded me of the episode when George tried to break up with his girlfriend. Yep, and she, and she was, kept saying no. Yeah, she was like, "No." Nope. Well, you're going to... Nope. Nope. We're still together. I'll see you. I'll pick you up for seven at dinner. That was what happened with Baker Mayfield. So I, I, I don't blame the NFL insiders for getting this one wrong. And I would add one other thing, too. If any of us had known that he was restructuring his contract for $230 million guaranteed... I think that changes the paradigm in this conversation a little bit as well. So, um, again, I'm, I'm not... Uh, I, I, it was just... Insane. It was insane for so many different reasons, but but I don't necessarily blame the insiders on this specific one because it just feels like one of those scenarios where I think they really were off the table and now they're back. And then they start realizing how much money they're, they're going to be willing to spend, they being Deshaun Watson's camp, and all of a sudden they're back in. I guess I mean I guess I understand that. I mean it's not like they reported wrong. They they reported the information that they got. They had to feel like idiots. Sure. But That's because fair. because everything had been out there. I'm just trying to figure out how they got back into the mix. Like how do you go from you're out of it, you better move on. His camp telling you you are now out of this. Well, especially just like he told the Carolina Panthers. Just be, remember too, everything had to go through the Texans if I understand correctly. Basically, mm-hmm. the they had to 
vet what they were going they had to vet it through Deshaun so I don't know I, I cut you off but I, I think that's an important part of it too is it's not as though he's a free agent and you could just reach out to his agent whatever blah, blah blah I mean I guess you can in some ways but I, my understanding was most of this all went through uh, the, the the Houston Texans continue Jason I didn't mean to cut well, you off. Ev- everything that I had heard was step one in this process was all of the teams submitted their offers to the Browns or to the Texans rather and basically had to meet a minimum requirement. All the teams that were on the list with the t- with the Texans in this final few days had met the minimum threshold. They had put together a deal that was good enough. So the insiders that were covering this, I, I think it was Schefter specifically that I remember saying this, basically what was going to happen is all these teams were in the mix. Deshaun was going to meet with all of them. And what Deshaun was going to do is say, I will waive my no-trade clause for the Browns, at which point they trade him to the Browns. And that's how it was going to work. But all of the teams that he spoke with had already met the minimum for the for the Texans. So it was just up to Deshaun to tell the Texans who he wanted to go to, who he would waive his no-trade clause to, and then that was going to be the team he ended up with. A couple thoughts here. Again, Matt Verderam from Fanside will be joining us here in about eight or nine minutes. Um, first of all, so, uh, you know, this this is a tough conversation, independent of all the other stuff that's been talked about with Deshaun Watson. Um, I, I get the money element of it. And one thing in life, I think most of us all feel this way, you never question another man's money. Uh, you get a chance to sign a $230 million fully guaranteed contract. Uh, you know, I, I don't blame any individual for doing that. I bring it up to say, in my opinion, this decision was almost exclusively about money because I don't think anyone can argue that the path through the NFC right now, as you laid out last hour for Tom Brady, part of the reason Tom Brady coming back, the path through the NFC is just so much easier than the AFC. And so what did you make of the fact, it's just independent of, okay, how did it go down? Why did it go down? Like you, I'm curious to see the reporting on this over the next couple of days of how the Browns were able to get back into this. But now that it is official, now that he's going to be a Cleveland Brown, I actually don't like that. I don't like the move. I don't like the move because you have a chance to go to the AFC, NFC, which is completely wide open. The two stars in that league, as you alluded to, that conference, excuse me, are one is 44 going on 45. The other one's about 37, 38 going on 39. You got three stars. They're all in their mid to late 30s, if not 40s. So continue. Yeah, you said you said two. I just wanted to make sure we added Stafford. He won well, a Super Bowl. I was just gonna, got paid 140 million. Yeah, I was going to get to him, but the point is, is that. Everybody in that conference is on by far the tail end of their careers where you go to the AFC, Justin Herbert, all the names that we always mention, Josh Allen, uh, you know, you add Russell Wilson, who's probably on the back end ish of his career, but still probably in his prime, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, et cetera. Go ahead. Well, it made sense. The one that made the most sense to me on paper was probably the Saints. Because Matt Ryan at his age and Atlanta's just not going to be a factor. They don't have Calvin Ridley this this year, obviously. They lost Russell Gage. They were they still had Kyle Pitts and they were going to make some kind of moves, but they're even as creative and good as Arthur Smith can be as a head coach and as offensive mind, they're still a couple years away and maybe past Matt Ryan's career and the next quarterback before they can be who it is that they're supposed to be. Carolina is running out there with Sam Darnold right now. And then you've got Tom, but Tom's not going to play forever. And Deshaun was probably signing a longer term contract, one would assume. So going to the Saints, 
and that franchise and a city that is forgiving and a city that certainly there's not a whole lot of saints down there. I mean, saints are the name of the team, but there's a whole lot more sinners on Bourbon Street than there are saints and things like that. Like, it's a place where he could have rehabbed. Atlanta would have made sense, too, because of the area of the country and how much he loves that area and how they had handled the Michael Vick situation and things like that. I don't know why he picked Cleveland other than... I really don't know. I mean, other than the roster, they have a lot of talent there. And they have a coach that maybe he gets along with. And maybe he looks at the rest of the division and says, okay, it's Mitchell Trubisky, it's Lamar Jackson and a Ravens team that I still don't know what they're going to be this year. And then it's a Bengals team that, I mean, they're the Bengals. Are they going to be there every year? There's a four seed that got out. It still seems like it's a harder pathway. But he's in the quarterback's conference. There's no question about that. Uh, we'll, we'll ask our guests in the next segment why he picked Cleveland. I'm not so sure. If it was just money, okay. I'm surprised that a team that was desperate like the Panthers had investigators on this for a year. Or the Saints that were you know had people on this for over six months and all this kind of stuff wouldn't have just ponied up whatever it took. How much, how much, how much did you put into this to not get him over money? I find it hard to believe that that was the only thing, but you might be right. So we, you just mentioned a minute ago, Jason, we will be having a guest coming up. Matt Verderam covers the NFL for Fansided. He will join us next to talk not only about Deshaun Watson, but Baker Mayfield, who we haven't touched on, Devontae Adams, who we haven't touched on. Wild, wild, four, five, six days in sports since you and I were last on air. We'll be back next. Matt Verderam joins us. This is Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Busy Saturday night. One game left in the NCAA tournament. Gonzaga has come all the way back. They're on a 10-2 run as we speak, up 61-57, 9-22 left against ninth-seeded Memphis. We will keep you updated on that. But it was an absolute crazy week in the NFL, and here to break it all down, Matt Verderam, national NFL reporter at Fansided, also host of the Stacking the Box podcast. Matt, how you doing tonight, man? Uh-oh, Matt must be a Memphis fan. I'm, uh, Matt, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Okay. I couldn't hear yeah. you there for half a second. Are you a Memphis fan? Is are, are, Were you throwing something at the TV as we spoke? Was that what it was? No, I'm just no, kidding. no. I am. Uh, I'm a St. John's fan, so my season ended the second it started. Okay, oh, no. yeah, you've been throwing a lot of stuff at your T. You're probably out of TVs at this point. So uh, yeah. let, let's stick with the <laughs> let's stick with the NFL. Real, real simple, straightforward question. Um, based on what you've heard from around the league over the last 24 hours and really 48 hours, how did we go from the Cleveland Browns being completely eliminated in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes to Deshaun Watson becoming a Cleveland Brown 24 hours later? you have any, any thoughts or leads on that, Matt? Yeah, uh, money and desperation are a hell of a combination. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that's pretty much what happened. Look, Cleveland recognized that if it didn't get Deshaun Watson, it was up you-know-what creek. Like, there was no going back. They can say all they want that they weren't going to trade Mayfield. They were not going to have a choice because Mayfield at that point he had lost all credibility. You can't bring him back in that locker room. There's no way. Whether it's him saving face, whether it's him having respect for his teammates, for the coaching staff. So I think the Browns recognize, look, we have to go all in. And maybe to an extent, it's even really uncomfortable. And so $230 million guaranteed, $46 million a year. I mean, that's uncomfortable. I don't care who you're bringing on, right? I mean, that is... That is more money guaranteed than anybody's ever gotten. That is more per year than anybody's ever gotten, save for Rodgers. So 
I think in the end, for Watson, look, it's money. Let's just be real. I mean, he, he signed there because he got a fortune. And, and if you're the Browns, you went that far because you knew you really had gone down the road and you couldn't turn back. So was it money also for Aaron Rodgers, if indeed it was true that he knew Devontae Adams was potentially and maybe even probably not going to be back there, even though he said, ah, it's not about the money. Doesn't it seem like it was awfully it was awfully important to him in some way, shape, or form, even if money in this case also represents power for Aaron Rodgers? It's always about the money. Always. And in this case, look, I think it's a, I think it's a little bit with him, to be fair. Yes, money, no doubt, because it also equals respect. Um, and, it, and it certainly equals power. But I, I think you know, he's... At a point in his career, he's been there his whole career. And where was he going to go that he's got a better shot to win? I, I, now, now, without him being gone, you could argue, hey, maybe you would have had a better shot in Denver, although that conference is loaded beyond words right now. But um, I think for him, yeah, the money. But then also, you know, it seems as though they had mended a lot of fences throughout the year. The team was the number one seed for the second straight year in the NFC. Now, they got to get over the hump at some point. Uh, and I think he'd be the first one to tell you that. But um, overall, you know, the Packers also – held his rights. You know, they could have made it difficult. Now, would they have? I don't know. Um, but I think for Rodgers, there was a little bit more than just the money. Whereas with Watson, I think it was literally, if they're going to give me $230 million guaranteed, then uh, that's where I'm going. Matt Verderam joining us here on Fox Sports Radio. Make sure you follow Matt on Twitter, at Matt Verderam, national NFL reporter, fan side, and also host of the Stacking the Box podcast. Uh, Matt, just, you know, obviously Jason just bringing up the Devontae Adams stuff, me bringing up Sean Watson. I mean, just what do you make of the AFC in general, where you have all this incredible talent returning, and now it's almost like an arms race where Denver adds Russell Wilson. I know he's a wide receiver, but Devontae Adams, one of the best receivers in the league, going to help his former college teammate Derek Carr in, in Las Vegas. Obviously, Deshaun Watson yesterday. It is just insane to me, one organization after the other, after the other, seemingly trying to one-up the other in the race to the top of that conference it's an unbelievable conference like i i mean the, the bills adding von miller right like that almost feels like old news at this point because everything else has happened but i would argue it might be the most impactful in terms of who's going to be in the super bowl next year like i think buffalo has been the bridesmaid to the chiefs for a few years in the afc i think now they're the favorite i mean kansas city certainly has got enough they go there and beat them but i, I think right now if you say power rank them buffalo is the best right i mean i think Right now, the, the AFC West is such a gauntlet. It's going to be so hard for anybody to come out of that with a number one seed. That I think the Bills are in the pole position. But then you also look at, as you mentioned, like Watson and the Browns, Burrow and the Bengals, both in Ohio. you got Baltimore that should be back and healthier and very good again. I mean, really, the only division that doesn't have a team that is Super Bowl-worthy in terms of the conversation is the AFC South. And even that division has the Titans who just went and were the number one seed a year ago. So... Look, I am curious, now with the expanded format of 17 in each conference, you could have a whole division make the playoffs. I wonder if the entire AFC West is going to make the playoffs. <laughs> I, I, you really, like, I think the Raiders are probably the fourth best team in the division, and they just added Taylor Jones and Devontae Adams and might win 10 games. It is, it is just unbelievable how strong the AFC is. So here's a list for you. Russell Wilson, DJ Jones, Randy Gregory, Khalil Mack, uh, J.C. Jackson, Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, Rocky Asine, Brandon Bolden, and it just keeps on going. I'm just talking about guys that were acquired in the AFC West. 
Uh, I, I don't know what to say other than this. I feel like NBC should just go ahead and contract the AFC West. Like, right now, they should put a contract on the AFC West, and anytime there's a divisional game, that should be the AFC West game of the week, and it should be in prime time on, on NBC. I have to say, I think there's a, there's a cap for each team. I believe it's six prime time games. All, all those teams have to hit six. Right? I mean, all, how many how many NFC games, like both teams being in the NFC, how many are there going to be on Sunday or Monday Night Football this year? A half dozen? I mean, you know, you got the Rams, the Packers, of course, the Cowboys are always a draw. Phillies are draw because they're a playoff team, and they're they're of course in the big market. After that, in San Francisco, Tampa Bay, yeah, of course, of course, Tampa, right? But you have the six teams in the AFC. You've got at least about a dozen teams, whether because of the market they're in or because of the talent on them, that you look at and just go, that team's a draw. Easy. Like, not even a question. So it's, no, the AFC is going to be, the, the playoffs are going to be unbelievable. You're going to have really good teams that don't even get into the playoffs in the AFC. Last one for me, Matt. Um, just you know, going to the NFC. Uh, you know, obviously Rams reload a little bit today uh, with the, the Matthew Stafford news, and then of course trading Robert Woods. Just what do you make of that picture? I mean, is there somebody that we're not talking about now that Tom Brady's back, Aaron Rodgers is back, the Rams are loaded? Uh, is there anybody that we're missing? Uh, you know, in that conference. I think that conference is really right now about Tampa. Green Bay and the Rams and the Packers have to make a move because without Adams, that offense is barren. Like I, I actually thought that was a bad trade in a lot of ways for both teams. And, and, and look, you could make a case certainly for the Raiders because that contract, even though it got reported as massive, in reality it's not quite as massive as, as it was first made out to be. Um, but for the Packers, you get the picks. Okay, fine. You have nobody to throw it. the ball to. The Bucks and the Rams, in my eyes, are the two best teams in that conference by a pretty good margin. Then you have to respect Rodgers. And after that, it depends for me on Trey Lance. If Trey Lance is really good, the Niners are really good. But if he has one of these years where, you know, he's kind of so-so, he's up and down, it's, it's a, it's a quote-unquote rookie year, then I, I, I think really that conference, you'll look at it and just go, all right, if, if the Rams and the Bucks are healthy and they're not in the NFC title game, it'd be a pretty big surprise. Matt, there are franchises that get everything wrong, whether it's optics or on the field or whatever. So they name themselves the Commanders. They go (laughs) grab Carson Wentz, and he gives a press conference where he's wearing a color that's way too close to the Hall of Fame jackets (laughs) for the sport and perfect for Century 21 real estate. How like If there's a loser... Outside of guys that didn't get Deshaun Watson, teams that didn't get Deshaun Watson that were looking to try and get him for a year. Doesn't it have to be Washington? Because I'm not sure they're better with Carson Wentz, at least considerably better with Carson Wentz than they were with Taylor Heineke. And I'm pretty sure Heineke's a better teammate than Wentz is on top of it. So, first of all, I agree with you on all fronts. The man looks like a human hot dog. (laughs) Second of all, um, they went out and immediately got Wentz. So I agree with you. I think maybe they're a game better with Wentz and the with Heineke, and you talk to people around the league, I'm yet to talk to one person who says, you know who's a great teammate, a great guy in the room? Carson <laughs> Wentz. I mean, not one. I was in Indianapolis for a week. Not one guy. Um, but I also think, too, if, if Washington just had a little bit of patience, they could have been in, maybe not on Watson, okay, but they could have been in even on Baker, Baker Mayfield or on Jimmy Garoppolo. They could have been in maybe on Kirk Cousins, who there was a lot of talk that the Vikings were looking to shop him for. They extended him. 
maybe Matt Ryan gets moved. Like all these guys are clearly better than Carson Wentz. And yet Washington ends up with Carson Wentz and a man who, as you said, and I would agree, looked like a real estate agent out of the 70s. It was, uh, it was bad all the way around. He is Matt Verderam. He is a national reporter for Fansided, host of the Stacking the Box podcast. Follow him on Twitter, at Matt Verderam, not only for great NFL content, but for St. John's basketball as well. Man, I'm just kidding. Thank you, man. We appreciate the time. <laughs> the insight was incredible. Much better than that joke there at the end. Thank you, Matt. We'll do it again soon. <laughs> no problem, guys. That was Matt Verderam, again, host of the Stacking the Box podcast, national reporter at Fansided. Coming up, we react to some of the things that Matt said right there, and there was a lot to peel back. But first, Steve DeSager. What's trending, man? Well, first off, I got to mention what you said on a show last night that uh, Arnie Spanier is going to be on the air while the Arizona Wildcats are on the air. Tonight. Oh, no. <laughs> Another upset coming. We might be down to one number one seed by the end of this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and in honor of Arnie's old time slot here on Saturday nights, can I just mention that the Arizona women's team, which was in the national championship game oh, last no. year, only lost by a point? They're losing their first-round game with under eight minutes left right now. <laughs> oh, no. 53-52 to UNLV. You so. can take – what is it? You can take Arnie out of the time slot, but no, you can't you take can't. the time slot out of Arnie? Yeah. You can't take the jinx out of it. It's just anybody – in the Arizona Athletic Department. It's it's the jigs, actually. Let's get to college hoops because the top-ranked co- team in the country, Gonzaga, was down 10 at the half. They now lead Memphis 68-66 with five minutes to go. Memphis has two starters with four fouls each. Drew Timmy has, to say the least, come alive in the second half. He has 25 points tonight, 12 rebounds, most of that in the second half. Chet Holmgren, seven points and eight rebounds for the Zags, who again are up now five under five minutes to go against Memphis. Who's going to make it to the Sweet 16? The West Regionals will be in San Francisco next week. This game right now is in Portland, Oregon, with tons of Zags fans there. Arkansas is headed to the Sweet 16, despite shooting 28% from the floor. It beat New Mexico State 53-48. to Kansas and Providence each one. They'll meet each other in the Sweet 16 next week. Michigan still alive after eliminating the three-seed in the South Tennessee 76-68, and the Wolverine trailed with about four minutes left. 15th ranked St. Peter's is still a go. And Murray State will not foul. The celebration is on. Folks, in seven seconds, history for St. Peter's. They're jumping up and down. Two seconds, one second, it's over. The Peacocks did it again. First they stunned Kentucky. Now they topple Murray State 70-60. to And St. Peter's, who had never won a tournament game, is now off to the Sweet 16. Westwood won. Brandon counted with the call. It is amazing. And guess what? They're playing in Philadelphia next week against the winner of tomorrow's Texas-Purdue game. Philly is less than 100 miles from campus there in Jersey. North Carolina and UCLA each won second-round matchups. They will face each other in Philly in the Sweet 16 on Friday. Carolina's win was in overtime against top seed in the region, Baylor, 93-86. The Tar Heels blew a 25-point lead in the last 10 minutes of regulation but still won. R.J. Davis, 30 points. UCLA's win tonight as they shot 57% from the floor. Bruins beat St. Mary's 72 to 56. 
Zags lead by five, under four minutes to go against Memphis right now. The four home teams in the NBA tonight were the four winners, and that included Washington, which came back to beat the Lakers 127-119, ending the Wizards' six-game losing streak. And Kyle Kuzma, the ex-Laker, did not play tonight. He was out with knee tendonitis. And finally, I'm sure you guys are aware of the Iditarod, the annual sled dog race in Alaska. It's going on right now with this headline, Vicious winter storm knocks six mushers out. Apparently, just by seeking help, that disqualifies you. And so some did, including a married couple who were running separate dog teams. They accepted help and had to be scratched. Spoiler alert, Steve. (laughs) I had this this DVR'd at the house to watch. You just wrecked it. Actually, as I kept reading, I found out that uh, about 50 mushers started on March the 6th. And the winner has already come across on Tuesday. And he fell off his sled at one point and lost the trail at another time because of bad weather, had to actually stop and wait with the dogs trying to wait out the weather. Apparently, there are still a handful of mushers on the trail tonight making their way in in this <laughs> thousand-mile race across Alaska. Back to mushers you. is in another name, by the way, Aaron and Steve, that is better than the commander's. <laughs> yeah, well, when Alaska gets an NFL team, that's what I hope for. Sure. <laughs> Real quick, I will say, um, where were you? Guys, you just mentioned it, Jason. Where were you guys on just keeping it the Washington football team? I didn't hate. That. I loved it. Me I too. loved it because it felt soccerish to me. Yeah, but it worked. Like I just, it's like I, I got used to it, and I liked it when I first heard it. I thought, I, I know they're not going to do this, but I wanted it to be the Washington Monuments. Yeah, I I didn't hate. I that. wanted it. I so badly wanted it to be the Washington Monuments. Yeah, well, and the amount when, of quarterbacks they've had standing as a statue there that would be appropriate. Wow, Joe Theismann might be the only soon. people that have statues at least at least in this century. But uh, yeah, no. Other than that, I was with Washington football team. I liked it. There was something about it that was unique. Yes, it stood out. Washington Commanders. Stands out like a USFL team yes. from 1982. Yes, it does. That that's my thing. I well, just, if they abbreviated it like the soccer, you know, Washington FT instead of yes. Washington FC, or you or know, just the football N- team NFT. These days, they would eventually get to, I'm sure, for some sort. of I believe. Profit. Look, since everybody is so sensitive and everybody needs to change their nickname and all this, I told my wife we're getting to a time where how about we just take all the fun out of it, get rid of all the nicknames, and it's just today it's Kansas City versus Buffalo. And that's it. There is no that's, Bills. That's there is a, no that's Chiefs. That's to Buffalo. That's it. Yeah. No, no. We got the Peacocks tonight. We're keeping it. St. <laughs> Peter's Peacocks. HBO Max is going to take them down in the Sweet 16, though. <laughs> that's right. Somebody already tweeted, if a certain streaming service doesn't get some sort of deal with this college basketball For team real? by Monday, they deserve to be in last place. That's true. Speaking of which, Memphis. Uh, Gonzaga is up 71-66 in that game. So that's the last game of the day, as DeSager just referenced, and he referenced it, of course, in his update as well. Uh, he, uh, The St. Peter's Peacocks have advanced. So crazy day in college basketball. What I want to do is I want to come back and Actually, Jason, your your thoughts on Carson Wentz. I, I know it's nothing like anywhere close to the lead topic of the week in the NFL, but I want to hit on it anyway. Gonzaga up five, final day of the college basketball tournament. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, I'm Doug Gottlieb. The podcast is called All Ball. 
We usually talk all basketball all the time, but it's more about the stories about what made these people love their sport and all the interesting interactions along the way. We talk to coaches. We talk to players. We tell you stories. You download it. You listen to it. I think you'll like it. Listen to All Ball with Doug Gottlieb on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Saturday night, one game left on the college basketball docket. Gonzaga up 78-73 with 42 seconds to go. If cold cold candidate calls aren't turning into hot hiring leads, then you need Indeed. Because Indeed's powerful hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all from one place. Find your next great hire visiting Indeed.com slash credit. And speaking of Indeed, with the tournament in full gear, be sure to check out the Bracket Challenge standings at Fox Sports Radio for Fox Sports Radio's Million Dollar Bracket Challenge powered by indeed so jason you know we were kind of joking tongue-in-cheek with with matt verderam there about the whole carson wentz saga over the last couple days not saga but you know he had his introductory press conference whatever so i kind of feel like because we have had so much crazy nfl news the aaron Rodgers re-signing the russell wilson trade the deshaun watson trade tom brady announcing he's coming back i feel like the carson wentz stuff Went way underreported. I mean, this is a guy that two organizations in two years have basically given up on without really confidently having the next guy in line. Now, I know the the Eagles had Jalen Hurts, but we've heard basically since the day Jalen Hurts took over for Carson Wentz two seasons ago that they're not totally confident in him, and there was talk this offseason about Russell Wilson, about Deshaun Watson, whatever. So I'm not sold that they really believe in Jalen Hurts. Obviously, we know the situation in Indianapolis. Oh, by the way, the team in Indianapolis is coached by the guy that brought Carson Wentz his greatest success, and so if that guy gave up on Carson Wentz, I don't know... I guess what I'm trying to say is exactly what you said to Matt, and I'm not stealing your take here. I'm just setting you up to go off. But if you're gonna, why don't you just keep Taylor Heineke? I don't understand the Carson Wentz stuff, and I feel like it is a little bit under discussed the decision to bring him in off of the last two seasons and really about five or six seasons uh, since that knee injury. I don't get it. I didn't get it, and I felt like it was underreported over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it just kind of got buried because of other things, but you're right. And the question you asked at the beginning of the interview with Matt about Deshaun Watson and why he would pick Cleveland, the response from Matt was money and desperation. Uh, I want to talk about that last one, desperation. Sometimes you make really bad decisions out of desperation. You make bad impulse buys at the grocery store, but you end up leaving with stuff that you didn't mean to. You buy a magazine you're not going to read. You get something at the store. You're not paying attention. You've got to stop and think. You've got, to, you've got to realize and evaluate the situation. And to me, it felt like Washington didn't get Russ. They offered three first-rounders, and Russ said, nah, I'm good. Aaron Rodgers wasn't going there. So like, well, we got to do something. Let's go get Carson Wentz. And if you're the Colts, you got to do this because nobody's going to offer you this deal again for Carson Wentz. As soon as they got the offer, they had to do it. But the larger point is this. This is the second franchise without a long-term quarterback plan. In the Colts' case, they had nobody that still felt the need to get rid of Carson Wentz as fast as they possibly could. And this is a guy that, if you look at it from a statistical perspective, last year with Indianapolis, Carson Wentz had 27 touchdowns and 7 interceptions, a 95 passer rating. 
3,500 yards and a 63% completion percentage. That's not terrible, Aaron. That's the part of this that I think gets missed. For his career, 140 touchdowns and 57 interceptions, a 90 passer rating, 20,000 yards. He's not old. He's 29 years old. He's a former you know, top two, top three draft pick in the league. This is a guy that at one point was going to be the MVP the year that the Eagles ended up winning the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. And we all, every one of us, believe that Washington screwed themselves, got somebody that's not going to make them markedly better, and certainly might be a locker room problem. The Colts end up getting the better of this, even though they got rid of a guy who had 27 touchdowns and 7 interceptions, and currently they have nobody but Sam Ellinger on the roster. Think about that for a second. That's why this story is so amazing to me, is this guy and the way people used to view him He has to be the worst teammate in the league, and the league knows it. Like, no GMs even want to deal with this guy after Frank Reich had to go and apologize hat in hand to Jim Ursay and say, I'm sorry, I put my neck on the line for this guy, and I was wrong. Think about that for a second. And then this guy's in a mustard-colored suit for the Washington Commanders, who could potentially be just the same team that they were last year. Meanwhile, the Colts actually got something out of this in the end, even though they ended up losing a draft pick originally to bring him in. I just can't believe Washington felt the need that they had to run and do this. Like there was some giant market out there for Carson Wentz, and if they didn't go make this move, they were going to have nothing. That just makes absolutely zero sense to me. And then you see the quarterback carousel open up with more guys that are out there, and you're like, hey, Washington, I could probably name you three guys right now that are potentially available to you that are better than the guy that you already gave up too much to get from a team that couldn't wait to get out from underneath him. We're going to talk about some of those guys next because obviously Baker Mayfield is going to be on the move. We believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be on the move as well. Seattle looking for a quarterback. Of course, the Indianapolis Colts looking for a quarterback as well uh, without Carson Wentz. But I'm with you, Jason, is it felt like there were better options. And I believe there were just as good of options already on your roster Amen. that you could have considered. So we'll continue the conversation on all things uh, you know, NFL. But also, college hoops here coming to an end. Memphis down two. Gonzaga has the ball. Six seconds left. There's a timeout. When we come back, we'll get you updated on what happens, how this one likely finishes out. uh, Potentially overtime by the time we get back as well. Uh, And we'll, of course, continue the conversation on both college basketball and the NFL as well. Aaron Torres here on a Saturday night. Jason Martin joining me. Lot to get to. Of course, Bernie Fratto will join us later as well. Jason Martin, Aaron Torres, Fox Sports Radio. Welcome in, everybody. Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Busy Saturday night. Hiring, heating up. Indeed's hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all in one place. Sponsor a post and instantly receive a short list of quality candidates on Indeed whose resumes match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. And speaking of Indeed... With the tournament in full gear, be sure to check out the Bracket Challenge standings at FoxSportsRadio.com for Fox Sports Radio's Million Dollar Bracket Challenge by Indeed, presented by Indeed. Last game is officially final. Memphis holds on to beat... The, mean Gonzaga. Er, Gonzaga holds on to beat Memphis. I got ahead of myself there. 
82 to 78. To be clear, Gonzaga won, Memphis lost. Really fun game, Jason. I mean, you live yeah, in Can I ask you a question? I got to cut you off. Go here. ahead. You're, go you're a college basketball guy, obviously, so I want to ask you this. So, you know, Gonzaga's inbounding the ball in a two point game, and you know, Nemhard is an 88% free throw shooter. All of them are on the baseline. They're all going to run kind of a staggered way to try and get somebody free. Don't you have to find a way to make somebody else catch the ball instead of Nemhard if he's by far their best free throw shooter? Don't you at least make somebody else go to the line and beat you other than a guy that barely ever missed all season long? Like Maybe, maybe I'm just... I know it's easier for me to say that than to pull it off, but... I would do anything it took to make sure he's not the one that caught the ball and he's the one that got the ball, made the two free throws, and it was a wrap. My only argument to that would be, and I'm not being sarcastic or mean-spirited, uh, Mark Few gets paid a lot of money to make sure that Andrew Nemhard gets situ- gets gets open in that situation in the same way that Penny Hardaway gets paid a lot of money to sure. make sure that N- Andrew Nemhard isn't open in that situation. So it's tough because it's funny, right? In general, I, I try not to criticize coaches for coaching decisions um sometimes it's just so obvious that a team isn't ready to play like kentucky the other night uh but uh, you know I- i'll say I- i'm trying you know we were on air during this game obviously the-, the totality of this game so it's not as though i got to watch super closely um but it's kind of like the the tennessee stuff right is that uh memphis finished four of 19 uh you know from the field mm-hmm. uh from the three-point line excuse me missed six foul shots as well so it it, it always comes down it a lot of times comes down to a play or two in the tournament um but uh i don't think that that i don't know i don't think there's a ton that you can do obviously andrew nimhard's one of the best foul shooters in the country as you said but like i said you know penny or excuse me mark few gets paid a lot to get to make sure that he gets open and the ball's in his hands in that spot too you know yeah and that makes sense um the other thing that i would mention it's like jacob timmy or drew timmy is a very he's popular amongst like other players and all this kind of stuff there was a lot of good conversations after the game obviously in the handshake line and all this kind of stuff watching him play over the last couple of seasons he gets away with a lot <laughs> he's i mean he was going to will them to this win like when you started seeing the comeback and seeing him take over a little bit i i sensed the same thing i sensed the other night in the first round game he just wasn't going to let him lose he's a tremendous college basketball player he's gonna have an awesome career in europe I know that sounds like a dig, but let's just be real. Good thing he's not going to be with a st- NIL. He's making a lot of money in college. Yeah, so. exactly. And he looked great. That's fantastic. But every screen I see him set, he moves. Hmm. He there. There's a lot of little stuff. He's crafty. Like I'm not saying that he's. I, I'm saying he's getting away with stuff because he knows what he's doing. He understands his footwork enough that the officials just don't catch what he's doing. But watching it, I'm just like, my gosh, how many moving screens are we going to see? to free somebody up to make a shot here. Like it's outstanding stuff. Like I said, more power to him. If you don't get it, if it's not being called against you, you should do it all day long. But he is a master of just sleight of hand on a floor where officials that are paying really close attention to him could call him all the time for something illegal and yet that he's been one of the best players in college basketball now for two seasons in a row. Drew Timmy did finish with 25 points, 14 rebounds, four assists. Yeah, he's great. Yes. Real quick, let me ask you. So Vegas did ha- did ha- come out with their odds leading into this tournament. Uh, didn't really matter what sports book that you looked at. 
Gonzaga was the overwhelming favorite coming into this tournament, and it was interesting. I was I was filling in the other night with uh, Jason Smith was out. I was in with uh, Mike Harmon. Had a great show with Mike. Really enjoyed working with Mike. You can hear him tomorrow morning with Bucky Brooks. Where do you stand on Gonzaga? Because he said he's kind of like okay, it's. It's officially win time. You were the cute, plucky underdog story for a long time. You had the rise, but now we're in like year five, year six of you being a really elite program, you knocking on the door. And if you, I don't want to paraphrase what he said, but basically he's like, it's time for you to knock down the door and do it. Uh, Basically, you know, you know what, or get off the pot. I'm still not sure that I'm there yet. I mean, and we could get into the nuance of it. I think this is a really hard tournament to win. Even going back to last year, there was one team that was better than them. They just so happened to face them in the final. But I will say, I, Mike did make me think about it in a little bit of a different way. You want to be treated like a Duke, you you know, you want to be treated like a Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina. Well, guess what? We crushed Kentucky when they lost. We're going to crush Duke if they lose. Uh, Gonzaga, it's time for you to go over the top. So what, what, what do you make of just Gonzaga and general in this tournament um i understand mike Harmon's point i think that mark few has already built duke minus the championships at gonzaga it's a school that's called gonzaga that's not really known in the athletic universe that mark few has turned into something duke basketball before coach k was what exactly it was nothing it's the same kind of deal. You you get one good head coach, you can all of a sudden turn something into something. I mean, Green Bay is not a big-time NFL market, but the Green Bay Packers won championships, got the right head coaches, brought in a couple of solid quarterbacks, and the story writes itself. Small markets can become gigantic in the right scenario. I, I didn't think they were an overwhelming favorite coming into this tournament because I don't think there's a great team in this tournament. I picked Arizona to win the entire thing. Because oh, I like their huh? mixture, yeah. I, I never did. even asked you because we had this conversation last week where we liked them, but we were worried. But continue, but we had the same conversation last week. Yeah, I picked Arizona to win. Now, two of my final four were out on Thursday, uh, so uh, that didn't work out. I listened to you about Iowa, mm. and got, I was mm. I was down on the entire Big Ten, and then you told me Iowa was built better this year, and so I said, you know what? I think you're right. I'm gonna I'm gonna go against my gut and take Iowa to the final four, and that did not happen. No, uh, McCaffrey has not taken a team in 12 years to the Sweet 16. Correct. In his 12 seasons there, which is unbelievable considering how many games that they have won during the regular season. You talk about Rick Barnes. Can we talk about that guy for a minute as well? But I didn't think this this Gonzaga team to me is not as good as last year's Gonzaga team. Agreed. It's not as good as other Gonzaga teams that I've seen in tournaments where they felt like they were head and shoulders better than teams that they lost to. This one, I'm not necessarily. I, I didn't pick him to win it, obviously. But past that, like, I didn't think this was some vintage Gonzaga team that they'd better win it or else. This is not the this is not the year for, f- to me to make that argument because I just don't think they're that great. Am I wrong? I, see, I'm actually with you. Um, I do think they're interestingly more complete than they've been in the past because Chet Holmgren, the big seven footer, that. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's starting to come come around on. He he's a real rim protector and he just we we know how basketball works. Is when you have a guy that's seven foot one with whatever his wingspan is, he not only blocks a lot of shots, he changes a ton of shots too. And so I don't think people realize this, but Gonzaga is actually number one in the country this year in field goal percentage defense. I don't think the guards are as good. The offense isn't quite as potent. And look, I, I do think until they actually win a championship. The, the the conference is always going to be a conversation. I don't think it's totally fair. Uh, San Francisco made it as an at-large this year. St. Mary's made it as, at, as, 
in as in at large lost tonight to UCLA. But I think this is all part of the conversation. But to answer your question, no. I do not think this Gonzaga team is as good as previous ones, including last season. And I am with you. I did not pick them to win the national championship. I actually didn't even pick them to make the Final Four. I do have Texas Tech coming out of that reason. Yeah, so I know nobody cares about my bracket. But the point is, I, I do agree with you. I don't think this is a vintage Gonzaga team. And I don't think this should be the one where you run to social media and call them overrated. Not you, but the metaphorical you listening in the car right now. I don't think you should be running to social media to call them overrated if they do indeed lose at some point in this tournament which 67 out of 68 teams end up doing right I mean look they've got Timmy back but the team last year I mean Jared Suggs was such an awesome player and he was the kind of guy that you could see actually leading a team to a championship in this era because guard play dominates everything when you get to March I love Suggs and then Kispert was a sharpshooter who just found a, he, he had a Leitner kind of feel to him in terms of he was kind of irritating if you weren't a Gonzaga fan but he was relentless and then you added Timmy to that I just like that mixture I didn't even mention everybody in that starting five this year it's like Timmy's back Chet Holmgren is solid and Nimhart is solid but I'm not just I don't watch them and just say oh my gosh what an unbelievable basketball team this is I've seen few have a lot of teams like this and I've seen them lose and it's not like I think he's a bad tournament coach this isn't this isn't that debate. This is just I see other teams that can easily beat them. I won't be shocked if they get beaten in Sweet 16. And by the way, I also won't be shocked if they win the entire thing. This could be the year they do it because I don't I haven't gotten the sense. Now, Harmon is saying something different in terms of his own opinion here, but I haven't gotten the sense that the world is just anticipating Gonzaga to win. Like the basketball world and the sports world, at least the one that I reside in, the people that I talk to on a regular basis, most of us, we're not sitting around just like, well, Gonzaga better daggone win it with all they did, the way we did with the Rams, right? Like the Rams had to win it because they went and spent all this money. It's like, man, this is going to be an all-time failure. They're going to be an all-time laughingstock if they don't win this thing. After everything they did to get Stafford and Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. and all this kind of stuff and bring Eric Weddle off the couch for the playoffs and all this stuff, I don't feel that way about Gonzaga. And I haven't really had any conversations with people that suggests that Gonzaga better daggone win it because they're clearly the best team in the country. I think they're one of them, but this is not a year where there's just... I mentioned Thanos earlier. I'm going to mention it again. There's no Thanos in this thing. Well, I agree with you 100%. And I will say, I think two things can be true. I don't think that they are an overwhelming favorite like they certainly were last year. Last year was probably the only time they've ever been an overwhelming favorite, even Mm -hmm. though they've been to Elite Eight, Sweet Sixteens, all that stuff. Uh, What I would say, though, is this. While that can be true... There is also an awful lot of nice stuff breaking their way. For sure. Yes, and I think that's an important element of this as well, is that, first of all, their bracket is in many ways very, very, very manageable right now. Um, You know, the two-seed is Duke. Nobody has confidence in Duke. Duke actually beat Gonzaga earlier this season. I was actually at the game in Vegas. but That was a great game. It was a great game. I do think I don't think that's the same Duke team that they're gonna that they would potentially be playing in the Elite Eight. Um, Duke, we talked a ton about last week, loses in the ACC tournament. Um, you know, Texas Tech is good. They actually beat Texas Tech. Now, Texas Tech is the opposite. I think Texas Tech has gotten better. But the point is, their region is manageable. Uh, oh, by the way, the way that the bracket lines up, 
unless I'm mistaken, they're playing the East once they get to New Orleans, which would be the region that has already lost their number one and number two seeds, Baylor and Kentucky. On top of that, don't forget about the fact that, oh, by the way, Kansas struggled today. Arizona has a, a player out with an injury. They didn't look great against Wright State yesterday. So I do think two things can be true. I don't think they're an overwhelming favorite by any stretch of the imagination. What I would also say, though, some years – Everything just kind of breaks your way. We talked about it with the Rams. They didn't have to face the Packers. They didn't have to go on the road for that. They get the Bucks when the Bucks are a little bit banged up and you can kind of tell something's going on and everything kind of broke right for the Rams. And I, and I will say, it does feel like everything is kind of breaking right for the Zags this year. Yeah, and look, I agree with you. I, I think it's very possible Gonzaga wins this tournament. I just don't think people are going to be, be dogging out Gonzaga if they lose this tournament. I think that's... I think that's that's the duality of this. Absolutely, they are one of the teams that could win it. And right now, watching them, I mean, they they had to fight fight a tough first round game in a one sixteen matchup. And Memphis has been playing really well as of late. And they gave them all they wanted, but they still were able to win that game tonight. Look, all they got to do is win four more, and they're national champions. They easily could do that. I just don't get the sense that the chicken little sky is falling. There's going to be they're going to be a living joke if they don't win this thing. I I don't get that sense. Even though because of the way I feel about them this year compared to years past, this might be the year that they win because I'm just kind of watching them like yeah you know whatever we'll, we'll see when Gonzaga gets knocked out which might be never. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is that that. As I said, and as you just said, two things can be true. I don't think they're an overwhelming favorite either. Maybe it's because of the fact, end of the regular season, they lose to St. Mary's. Uh, they did take a couple losses during the early part of this season. So, But Gonzaga does hold on. They are now headed to the Sweet 16. As Jason said, they will face Arkansas uh, in San Francisco next Friday. Gonzaga takes care of Memphis to advance to the Sweet 16. Coming up, we'll get back to the NFL we got a ton that we haven't hit on so far. We've already talked to Sean Watson, Tom Brady. I want to get Jason's thoughts on Baker Mayfield, his week that was, and what comes next for Baker Mayfield. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Busy Saturday night, Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Saturday night, college basketball is in the books. One number one seed is out. Baylor losing in the day earlier to North Carolina. Three seed Tennessee, a trendy pick coming out of last weekend after they won the SEC tournament, has also been eliminated by Michigan, the number 11 seed in that South region. Kansas advances as a one seed, and most recently, Gonzaga does beat Memphis 82-78. to Gonzaga will play Arkansas Friday night in the Sweet 16. Also worth noting, by the way, America's team, the St. Peter's Peacocks, also headed to the Sweet 16. They are just the third number 15 seed ever to advance to the Sweet 16, joining Oral Roberts last year, who ultimately lost to Arkansas. and Florida. Almost beat them, too. Almost beat him and needed a buzzer beater by Devo That's Davis, right. who is still basically who is still on the team. He was playing on the court tonight for Arkansas. Oral Roberts last year, Florida Gulf Coast in 2013. So kind of I'll just say this really quick, Jason, and we get back to the NFL. We're seeing the full gauntlet of the college basketball tournament this year, where um, you know, I mean, first of all, 
Every game is a little bit different. Every matchup is different. You see a team, Tennessee, looked as good as anybody in the first round, lost in the second round. You have a one-seed fall. You have a one-seed advance. You have uh, you know, some brackets that are playing out exactly as planned. Others, like the East, the one-seed Baylor, the two-seed Kentucky, are both eliminated. So really, you know, this, this, this tournament has a little something for everybody. Uh, unfortunately, if you're a UConn, Kentucky, Tennessee, Baylor fan, whatever, it has been a little bit disappointing in how some of it has shaken out yeah and ultimately only one team's gonna be happy at the end of it one thing this stat is crazy so arkansas beats new mexico state 53 48 this was a very tough game to watch okay very physical game but just horrible shooting how horrible how horrible arkansas shot 27 percent from the field 18 percent from three and one and one and one 27% and 18% from three and won the game by five, and now they move on to play Gonzaga. Well, and it is funny because, you know, you see some of it on social media, and I know social media isn't a be-all, end-all, but I I, I saw, I would say, 99% of Arkansas fans happy, and then, like, there's that 1% that's never happy no matter what, and they're like, you know, we're not going to win like that if we play going forward. It's like, but this is the tournament, right? I mean, it's it's what makes it so different than any other sporting event that we have, and in in so many ways so fun, is that to win the championship, and as you said, only one team is going to win it, you have to play six different teams from likely six different conferences, six different parts of the country, six different styles of play. And while it isn't necessarily the best way to crown a national champion or a champion, you can't say that a team doesn't earn it by the time that they're done. Just because, again, uh, it's just such a unique event, and again, it's such a it, it's it's a deal where. You have to go through so many different types of teams. That's what makes it so fun, uh, and this is a perfect example of that. Yeah, that's right. I was actually thinking about it during the break. We could sit here and probably debate, what are the hardest things to do in sports? And we were talking about Gonzaga and, and Mike Harmon's point about bleeper get off the pot, basically. And I'm thinking to myself, who would I compare Gonzaga to? Is it fair to compare them to Georgia? Well, no, because Georgia has a lot of advantages. Now, Gonzaga... They've got a pretty good endowment, and now they're able to recruit very well because Mark Few knows what he's doing, and they've become a destination. But they're still not Georgia, right? They don't play in the SEC. Uh, it's a it's a different universe if you go to Gonzaga to play basketball than it is if you go to Georgia to play football. There is a difference between the two. So who would you compare Gonzaga to? For me, I would say Mark Few right now is in Peyton Manning territory prior to winning a Super Bowl. Everybody knows he's good. Matter of fact, everybody knows he's excellent. Great Hall of Fame, one of the best we've ever seen at doing what he does. But the question will remain out there. If they don't do this 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 year, and this is to Mike Harmon's point, it won't be a joke, but it will be a, are you ever going to win the big one? Because you've been so close, but you haven't gotten it done, so it doesn't matter to us. Until Peyton Manning beat Rex Grossman in the rain, and put that narrative to rest. It was always, yeah, but let's see what happens. And I think I keep watching Gonzaga right now, year after year, which is just like, oh, let's see how they, how far they go this year before they lose. And it's kind of disrespectful because I, I know how good Mark Few is, but we're approaching, if they were to lose, right, and they would continue to do this and be a one seed and not get it done, do we at some point start to view them the way we view James Harden teams in the NBA, where it's just... 
All right, you're going to need to do this before I'm going to pick you to do it because I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop where you're really good, but you still find a way to get beat because this is a really, really hard thing to do winning the NCAA tournament. I think the Peyton Manning analogy is much better, and the only reason being James Harden's really never gotten... To, I don't think he's ever gotten that close. You're I right. mean, you know, finals as the sixth man with the Thunder, and I know that they they made a game seven of an East of a Western Conference Finals without Chris Paul, but they didn't win, and they didn't win because of James Harden. Uh, you know, Gonzaga has been on the brink there twice. I, I think the Peyton Peyton Manning analogy is perfect because, and it was the same thing. Everything else has been accomplished, right? Gonzaga, as I said uh, earlier in this in this hour, they're no longer the plucky underdog. I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, I've never been up to Spokane, but I know enough people who have. They play in as good of arena as anybody. They mm-hmm. travel as well as anybody. They stay in the nicest hotels. This is a mid-major in name only, I guarantee you. In the Power 5, Power 6, there probably aren't very many schools that are living like Gonzaga when they go on the road, travel, do all that stuff. And so they're right on the brink. And, uh, you know, it, it is just so interesting because I, I don't want to say that I, I think they can win it because they're they're one of going to be only 16 teams left by the end of this weekend but this doesn't feel like a vintage team and so it's tough for me to kind of contextualize if they were to lose what does it mean because I don't expect them to win I didn't come into this tournament expecting them to win um, mm-hmm. and so I don't know that but I guess it depends on how they lose, right? I mean, you know, we go back to the Kentucky conversation that we had in hour one. Um, it's one thing if Kentucky gets the Elite Eight and loses to the number one seed in their region, Baylor, or gets to a Final Four and loses to a Gonzaga, or loses to an Arizona. Losing to a St. Mary's, is, or a St. Peter's, excuse me, not even St. Mary's, is a completely different deal. I guess I have to see how Gonzaga loses, what the scenario is, but... I'm still torn on, I, I will give Mike credit, he made me think about it a little bit differently. Is like, at some point, you do have to break through. At some point, guys like me just can't say they will at some point. At some point, you actually have to do it. So they're kind of in that weird middle ground uh, that very few, frankly, find themselves in, as you alluded to with the Peyton Manning comments. Yeah, I think it just get, it gets easy to then write them off during the regular season. Be like, yeah, they're going to have a dominant regular season. They're going to be on at midnight on ESPN playing against St. Mary's once or twice that ought to be a fun game they're going to dominate everybody else they might play a couple of fun out out of conference games early in the season but none of this crap matters because they're going to get to March they're probably going to get to the elite eight maybe they're going to get to the final four and then they're going to get beat like eventually that's just going to be what's in the back of our head I think it's hard to imagine a universe where they don't actually win a national championship at some point before Mark Few's career ends but the problem is this the reason why it would stink for them if they lose is because they just got to go do this all over again and they've got to go back through this tournament again even as a one seed against six different opponents next time and with the different styles of play with the different motivations with the different locations that's what makes it so unique to your point earlier that's the deal like it's not like just because they keep getting there every year they're going to win it because it's all back to square one every single time that's why when your team feels like they can win a championship, they can win a Super Bowl, and they get beat, that's why it's so hard to deal with because you realize what you just witnessed over the last four or five months during the lengthy regular season, the injuries that you overcame, the acquisitions that you made, all of the people, all of the tickets that were sold, all of the hype, all of that, it all goes back to O and O. It all goes back to zero and zero. It all goes back to a preseason. It all goes back to another draft, to another free agency period. All of this. That's sort of the, the breaks of sports is, once it's over, everything you just accomplished means absolutely nothing. 
And that's the problem, I think, for a lot of these teams. And right now for Kentucky fans, because they keep getting invested year in and year out. And at least for the last seven, it's been heartbreak come March. I have a thought on that that I'll share on the back end. With that said, though, uh, third time tonight. It is time to get to Steve DeSager with What's Trending. What's up, DeSager? Hello. We can update our Sunday night co-hosts, Mr. Oklahoma and Mr. Arizona. Chris Plank and Arnie Spanier are always on Sunday nights, and their teams, both of them, almost got bounced in the first round of the women's teams, but both have survived. So the Arnie jinx, see, he's not on Saturday nights. It was not in effect tonight. Arizona... They outscored UNLV by 10 in the fourth quarter to win. Oklahoma got a six-point victory against IUPUI and Mr. Connecticut. UConn 83-38 over mm. Mercer in a Gosh. first round. Un- yeah, we, we got a lot of things to work on before round two. We'll get better, though. I got faith in that. <laughs> See, that's ridiculous. There's nothing. There's no blowouts in all of sports like there are in women's basketball oh. between the very best teams and everybody else. Last night, it was just one after. Well, there was that one game that wasn't at 66-8 to going to the fourth, something like Good that. Good Lord. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kentucky's athletic department has had a bad week. You know, they lost mm. to St. Peter's from New Jersey, first round men's tournament. They just lost to Princeton from New Jersey, first round women's tournament, 69-62. And Good week for Tony Soprano. This, this People are getting whacked. Belmont yeah. in double overtime beats Oregon. So congratulations, everyone covered. As for Drew Timmy and the number one ranked... Gonzaga Bulldogs, yes, top overall seed, still alive. Down 10 at the half, still beat Memphis, 82-78. Great item from Stats Inc. tonight that Timmy now in back-to-back tournament games has had at least 25 points, 10 rebounds, and 60% shooting. Wow. In, in the last 30 NCAA tournaments, the only two guys that had done that were Blake Griffin and Shaquille O'Neal. So that's the kind of start he's had to this tourney. It'll be Gonzaga against Arkansas, the West Regionals next week in San Francisco. Yes, Arkansas shot under 30% and still won 53-48 over New Mexico State. And congratulations to Michigan. An 11 seed is still alive after beating the three seed in the South Tennessee, 76-68. And the Wolverines were down with about four minutes left they entered the tourney with a winning percentage under 550 and here they've won multiple games to still be alive apparently in ncaa history the only other team that had a record that bad and won multiple games was bradley in 1955 which had a losing record to get into the tournament and won a couple of games i looked up the 1955 tournament that was when bill russell and san francisco won it all the regionals back then they had two east regions and two West regions, no Midwest, no South region. And back then, and for decades in the NCAAs, the regionals meant you were playing against only teams from your, your region. region. Yep. It had nothing to do with the sites of the game. So San Francisco, for example, that year, Bill Russell's team was only playing West Coast teams to advance to the Final Four. And by the time they made the national championship, they played the best team from the East Coast. They beat LaSalle. As for Providence and Kansas, each got wins today. They'll face each other in a Sweet 16 game in the Midwest. As for St. Peter's, 15 seed, wins again, 70-60 to 60 over Murray State. Never trailed tonight, and they'll be playing in Philadelphia less than 100 miles from campus in the Sweet 16 next week against the winner of tomorrow's Texas versus Purdue game. UCLA and North Carolina will face off in Philly in the Sweet 16 Friday. Carolina blew a 25-point lead in about the last 10 minutes of regulation but still beat top seed Baylor in overtime, 93-86. UCLA shot 57% from the floor tonight and defeated St. Mary's 72-56. However, Jaime Jaquez limped off with an ankle injury. He had scored 15 points in the first half. 
NIT second round wins for Texas A&M, Wake Forest, and BYU. The rest of the second round NIT games are Sunday. By the way, in Texas A&M's, they're a one seed. In A&M's win over Oregon, attendance 6,000. Wake Forest win against VCU today, attendance 4,000. BYU's win against Northern Iowa tonight, attendance 7,000, so less than half for pretty much all of these arenas. The Rams gave quarterback Matthew Stafford a four-year extension, and the Titans acquired wide receiver Robert Woods from the Rams for a sixth-rounder. He's coming back from a torn ACL. Back to you. Thank you, Steve DeSager. This is Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a busy Saturday night. If cold candidate calls aren't turning into hot hiring leads, then you need Indeed. Because Indeed's powerful hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all from one place. Find your next great hire visiting Indeed.com slash credit. And speaking of Indeed, with the tournament in full gear, be sure to check out the Bracket Challenge standings at FoxSportsRadio.com for Fox Sports Radio's Million Dollar Bracket Challenge powered by Indeed. So, Jason, I wanted to ask you, so... Conversation we were just having about Gonzaga. If they don't win, it adds another layer on, another year, all that good stuff. So I remember before the college football season, um, some may remember that I picked Georgia to win the national championship and then immediately bailed on it when they lost the SEC championship game and picked Alabama. So I really kind of screwed myself, but that's neither here nor there. I remember talking to Cole Kublick, who works over at ESPN SEC Network, mm-hmm. and he's a former player. He played at Auburn. And I asked him, I said, this was coming into the season. Georgia had never beaten Alabama at that point in the Kirby Smart era. And I said, do you think that weighs on the guys in that locker room? And he said, I really don't because the players turn over in college football in a way that they don't in the NFL where, um, you know, there's guys on the Bears that have played Aaron Rodgers for eight, nine straight years and can never get over the hump. Same with the Vikings. Same with all the teams that face Tom Brady. So I bring it up to ask you with Gonzaga, do you think these guys, I mean, everybody wants to win a championship. You feel the pressure of the tournament because it is a pressure-packed tournament. Do you think the guys in that Gonzaga locker room feel like we have to win this for Gonzaga as much as we just want to win this because we believe that we're good enough to do it? Uh, no, I agree with Cole. I mean, Drew Timmy might because Timmy was there last year and he felt like they probably should have won it last year and they had that classic with UCLA and then got there and Baylor just beat the brakes off him in the final. So somebody that's been there longer, I think it's just different because so so much turnover does take place, just to his point, that I think it's tough. I think you're aware of the history, but you know you're not a part of it. You would love to be the one that changes it, right? Like, Nick Saban goes to Alabama. They've struggled since Gene Stallings won the Sugar Bowl and won the national championship for the Crimson Tide. Nick Saban's aware of that. He wants to bring them back to prominence. He wants Alabama to be Alabama again in that moment. And he would love to be the face of that because he knows what it represents. But he's also not responsible for anything to happen with Alabama between Gene Stallings and him being hired. So you can be aware of the history, but not necessarily feel the pressure of it at the same time, if that makes any sense. It does make sense. It does make sense. And I think that that's where I would lean to. And I think even the players that were there last year, I don't think that they want to win it because like we have to do it for Gonzaga. Uh, I think they want to do it because 
it, we believe we're the best team and we're all competing for a championship and we believe that we're good enough to do it. Now, maybe uh, the the guys that have been there for a while, they want to do it for Coach Few, Mark, I'm, their coach, Coach Few to him, Mark Few to us. Maybe mm-hmm. they want to do it for him. Maybe they want to help him get that monkey off the back. But yeah, it, it's an interesting conversation because I think that we default to, oh, you know, they, they're feeling that heat. And I'm like, they're 19-year-old college kids. I mean, I'm not saying that they don't feel something. But again, when you get to the tournament, I think to me it's more about um, you want to win because you're good enough and because we, we everyone plays sports to compete for and win championships. And so to me, that's I, I'm, I'm in line with you and Cole on that. I don't know that Gonzaga not winning this or not whether they win or lose. I don't think it's that they're feeling pressure. They feel pressure because it's a crazy tournament where anything can happen. This is Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a busy Saturday night coming up besides Gonzaga. Real story of this tournament is the St. Peter's Peacocks, number 15 seed, advancing to the Sweet 16. DeSager with some crazy stuff on that. That's coming up next. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Drop bows, drop bows. Great song. Ludicrous. 90s. What a time, Don Brown. Don Brown on the ones and twos back there. Uh, Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a busy Saturday night as we do every time this Saturday. Let's get to DeSager with a, a, uh, just a, just a nice meaty update on everything that we've missed throughout the day. DeSager, what is going on, my friend? Well, of course, we have to start with the Peacocks because yes? seated 15th out of 16 in the East Region, St. Peter's never trailed tonight and beat Murray State 70-60. to 60. You mentioned earlier that there was a team that did this last year. Oral Roberts won its first two games in the tournament as a 15 seed. I found out that uh, from the Elias Sports Bureau, until last year, in the NCAA tournament, when a team won its first round game as a 15 seat, well, how did they do the next round? Those teams were one and seven in the next game until last year, and now we've had two years in wow. a row a team doing what St. Peter's is doing. And of course, you might be able to guess that Kentucky basketball gets decent ratings. And there was an upset on Thursday night, and so that got good ratings. St. Peter's beating Kentucky, nearly five and a half million viewers, which was the highest rated TV show on Thursday night, more than Law & Order, more than anything, and it was one of the most watched opening round games we've had since 2015. And keep in mind, there were other tournament games on at the same time on cable. If you add up those, in that time slot... It was almost 11 million viewers for college hoops on Thursday night for the first full night. What was the Kentucky number? It was almost five and a half million viewers. Whereas, I mean, that's like double of what the Big Ten title game got last week. And still, the Devontae Adams story nearly trumped it. (laughs) Like I was out, I was at a dinner with a friend. Yeah, I was at a dinner with a media friend, and we got updates on our phone about Devontae Adams, and stopped dead in our tracks and started talking about that. I didn't realize Kentucky lost (laughs) until I got home. Yeah, it's like the Christmas schedule. With the NBA, exactly. Yes. Tonight we had the uh, third female to play in men's hockey Quebec Junior Majors. A goalie started tonight, Eve Gascon, age 18. 
apparently had a 10 and 5 record getting called up from a men's team so congratulations to her and of course we have had a Penn swimmer in the news a lot recently her college swimming career ended tonight in Atlanta with an 8th place finish in the 100 yard freestyle at the NCAA championships this is an Ivy League swimmer competing as a woman who used to be an Ivy League swimmer competing as a man for 3 years this week she just won the 500 freestyle title and based on the history of men's times against women's times in this sport it is completely unfair this is not at all a political comment here we go i was wondering if we were i, I didn't know if i should throw that on the rundown today Desager, but Absolutely. i'm glad you brought it up i saw a quote tonight from martina navratilova for example famed tennis champ Maybe there should be an asterisk next to this champ's name, she said, if records get broken left and right. They were not this week. But Martinez said the current rules that the NCAA used are wrong. They permitted Thomas to compete as a woman because she had finished this required year of testosterone reduction treatment. Navratilova's quote was, it's about not allowing them to win when they were not anywhere near winning as men. As a man, Thomas was ranked 65th in the 500 freestyle. As a woman, she's an NCAA champion. Well, I, all, all I'll say, my quick thoughts, you know, Jason, I don't know if you want to chime in or you want to stay the heck away from this one, is, uh, you know, I think I have the least controversial stance possible on this one. I think everybody should be able to do what they want with their body. That's their prerogative. But just because you want to do what you want with your body, it is not a uh, birthright or given that you should be allowed to compete in athletics. Uh, and I feel bad for the females, the the genetic, uh, you know, biological females. In that, this race, yeah, yeah these exactly. finals. Yep. Yeah. In fact, yeah. Thomas competed in three individual events this week at the NCAAs, made the final in all three. My take is I can't believe feminists aren't everywhere right now Yeah, asking questions about this. Like, where are you? I understand that if you look at the intersectional hierarchy right now, you find yourself lower on that totem pole and maybe that makes you afraid. But you do understand that if this continues, every female world record is going to be wiped out, completely wiped out in a way that basically I thought you guys were all about being unique and being important and being independent. I would be, if I were a feminist, I think I would be up in arms and I'll just leave it there. Well, and what I would just say really quickly too, Jason, it's not just world records and all that stuff. It's scholarships, it's opportunities. Right. I mean, you know, these we've come so far in giving you know, true biological women, so many great opportunities across sports, opportunities that they very much deserve for the record. And, uh, you know, that's kind of my fear is where do the scholarships go? Where do the opportunities go for these young ladies that are going to be coming up here over these next few years? And my point would be just as a huge fan of sports and their records, in swimming history, it's been physically impossible for a woman to swim the 400 meters as fast as a man, period. Of course. And we can use the Olympics as an example. The legendary Katie Ledecky, phenomenal, seven gold medals. She still Still holds the world record in the 400 meters. If she had competed in the most recent Olympics against the men and swam her world record time again, she wouldn't have even qualified for the final. All eight men in the final swam it faster than her women's world record time. In fact, if she had been in the pool for that final, the great Katie Ledecky would have finished over 10 seconds behind everyone else in the men's race. Wow. Her world record time is 3.56. The eighth place man was under 3.46. So to finish up, Navratilova insisted the rules regarding transgender athletes need to change because this is not a fair fight, as she put it. In everyday life, inclusion, she said, but when it comes to sports, we have categories based on biology 
end quote. By the way, on a much lighter note, uh, St. Peter's Athletics just tweeted out a picture of the state of Kentucky oh, with man. just a big well, they now own it. Oh, man. Jason brought that up earlier, beating Kentucky <laughs> and then Murray State, Murray State in the state of Kentucky. So uh, not to steal all your thunder, De- DeSager, but I just saw that come through. And we and just mentioned, of course, awesome, Princeton, yeah. New Jersey with the women's win over Kentucky. By the way, the NCAA says for the Sunday March Madness schedule, keep in mind there are a couple of standalone games to start the day. Illinois-Houston at noon Eastern, and then after that, Villanova against Ohio State. Then we'll get to Duke-Michigan State, 5.15 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. Very interesting. Thank you, mm. Sager. Anything, I think and we, Arizona has the late game, and of course, Arnie will be coming on Sunday night as Arizona is struggling early second half, probably. At, as I told Steve DeSager, Jason Smith, and Mike Harmon last night, drive to Vegas, just get off and bet. <laughs> Who are they? They're playing TCU. TCU bet yeah. TCU because Arnie Spanier is on uh, during an Arizona game. Bad news for the Wildcats. Thank you, Steve DeSager. This is Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin coming up. Back to the NFL. We talked to Sean. We talked Brady. What's next for Baker Mayfield? That's next, Fox Sports Radio. Welcome in, everybody. Hour four, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. About 20 minutes from now, you can hear the man that follows us here on Fox Sports Saturday, Bernie Fratto. Bernie will be on joining Jason and I. 20 minutes talking March Madness. A couple other stories from throughout the week. And, of course, he is hosting straight out of Vegas here at the top of the hour. Hiring, heating up. Indeed's hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all in one place. Sponsor a post and instantly receive a short list of quality candidates on Indeed whose resumes match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. And speaking of Indeed, with the tournament in full gear, be sure to check out the Bracket Challenge standings over at FoxSportsRadio.com for Fox Sports Radio's Million Dollar Bracket Challenge, powered by Indeed. Don't have to worry about Jason Martin and I's bracket on FoxSportsRadio.com because my bracket stinks. And unfortunately, Jason, it sounds like you took a little bit of uh, uh, bracket advice from me. And so yours is probably in the uh, you-know-what, too. So is that safe to assume? Yeah, well, my national champion's still alive, but half my Final Four didn't make it out of Thursday. Uh, Kentucky and Iowa both lost. So that left me with Arizona and Texas Tech, I think, are the other two that I've got left. Um and with Zona winning at all, so maybe I could score some points there because I still feel pretty good about that. Even though they didn't look great against Wright State, didn't matter. They still won the game. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm winning the challenge this year. I was really counting on that gift card, but I don't think it's coming our way. Yes, Jason, of course, won the challenge a few years ago, got a TV. Uh, I won it last broken. year. Got absolutely nothing, so still not very happy about that, but what are you going to do there? So I uh, hope everybody's brackets are doing well. Again, go to FoxSportsRadio.com for Fox Sports Radio's Million Dollar Bracket Challenge, powered by Indeed. You can see how all the hosts here are doing. Uh, I am not doing very well, nor is Jason. All right, so Jason, first of all, just a quick, quick, quick recap of the college basketball from throughout the night. The big stories from today, Gonzaga advances, number one overall seed in the tournament. They are on to the Sweet 16. They took care of Memphis. Not so lucky, another number one seed, Baylor, which fell earlier in the day to North Carolina. Crazy, crazy, crazy game. Kansas advances. Uh, Tennessee, the three seed in the South, a a really trendy pick. I saw Colin Cowherd, our colleague here, say that he had Tennessee making a deep tournament run. They are out of the tournament as a three seed. 
so that is everything that has happened throughout the day. There's some other results as well. UCLA advances, Providence advances, Arkansas advances. Ironically, a very good day to be a four seed in this tournament. All three of those four seeds advance. Probably the biggest story, uh, St. Peter's. DeSager just told you a 15 seed just the second time, third time, third time in tournament history that a 15 seed advances. St. Peter's takes care of Murray State. If you missed any of the college basketball coverage, uh, make sure and go back and download the podcast, which will be available shortly after the show. Jason, there is a lot of NFL stuff that we have not gotten to yet. Uh, And by the way, that'll be on the podcast as well. Deshaun Watson, uh, Tom Brady, etc. I want to ask you about Baker Mayfield. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about just an interesting week, and and I think everybody kind of knows the deal, but Baker Mayfield, uh, first of all, it was, I think, Tuesday night that he puts out the, I love you, Cleveland. This There's no hidden meaning, but it was fun, whatever. No inclination at that time that Deshaun Watson is definitively going to sign there, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he puts out the letter. Then a short time later, we find out that he is, in fact, demanding a trade. Then the Browns come out, or at least reports come out from the Browns, that they are not trading him. And then yesterday, we officially got the news that Deshaun Watson is going to be a member of the Cleveland Browns. He has agreed to a trade to Cleveland. He's going to get $30 million guaranteed. As Matt Verdam said in the second hour, uh, Matt Verderam, excuse me, said in the second hour, uh, desperation and money are a crazy combination. That's what happened with the Browns. So Baker Mayfield now is not uh, is now no longer going to be part of the Cleveland Browns, obviously. And listen, when you have a chance to get Deshaun Watson, uh, it's hard to blame Cleveland for making that decision. Where are you at with Baker? First of all, before we get to teams, where are you at on Baker as a quarterback? Because I will say, it does feel like to me, I mean, this is a guy that has won a playoff game. This is a guy who elevated this organization. And this is a guy that that was not good last year, but was also really, really, really banged up. Uh, and I do think some of it was on Kevin Stefanski for not removing him from some of these games and not telling him, hey, man, go get surgery. You're not helping this team. Do you still believe Baker's a serviceable NFL quarterback? Like if you were a team, and we'll get into some of the specific ones in a minute, that did need a quarterback, do you feel like Baker Mayfield is a salvageable, useful NFL quarterback at this point in his career? Yes. I'm, I don't think we're looking at Johnny Manziel here. I think that he made a horrifying mistake not shutting himself down last season. I agree. Because no one cares that he played hurt. It didn't help his cause. All we saw was bad football. He wasn't better than Case Keenum. He wasn't giving him a better chance to win. Things weren't going well. If he shuts himself down, he creates a narrative that now doesn't exist. That being, man, I wanted to go, but hey, shoulders shoulders rocked. I'm just not going to be good for you this year. i got to step aside, make sure I'm right, so we can go win next year. Because what we saw the year prior was a team that made the playoffs, that gave its fan base some hope, and you started to think, okay, maybe maybe Baker can be the guy for them. Maybe he's going to be all right. Because this is a – I could go do it, but this is a franchise that hasn't been able to find a quarterback in three decades, it seems like. Since Bernie Kosar, it's been futility. It's been bridge – it's been replacement level. It's been scrap heap. It's been all of the above. Baker Mayfield is the number one overall draft pick. Hugh Jackson famously decided to go with Tyrod Taylor. Then he ended up getting knocked out of there. Stefanski comes in. They had a good year. They make the playoffs last year. They're, they become a trendy pick to win the division again. Then they come out and Baker Mayfield is banged up and he doesn't go and do the surgery he should have done and say, man, I I felt like we had a great team this year. 
but I'm not going to be who I need to be for you if I don't step aside, Cleveland. So I'll see you next year. You're going to be in good hands with Case Keenum and step aside. He doesn't do it. So I think that he got the optics wrong there, and I don't think the team did him any favors by not, as you just said, helping him to make that decision. But if you read into it, looks like him and Stefanski didn't get along very well at all. So that's part of this. But is the Baker Mayfield that was healthy, that was a large part of why they were in the playoffs a season ago after past last season, is that guy closer to the one that exists when he actually is healthy? Because all we saw was a banged up guy that couldn't get it done. There's a whole lot of people that are banged up that couldn't get it done. So I look at it and I say to myself, first off, if I'm the Colts, I try to make this happen. You already dealt with Carson Wentz. It's not like you're bringing in a worse guy, right? You're not working, bringing in a worse teammate. Baker Mayfield's Instagram post. I heard Colin Cowherd say this on his show a few days ago, and I thought it was a really smart point. And I wanted to hear what he said about Baker in particular because of the frenemy, uh, antagonistic relationship that they had had in the past. He said the Instagram post was the smartest thing he'd ever done because it worked on two fronts. One, he told Cleveland, I gave it my all, Cleveland. So if he ends up getting brought back to the Browns somehow, he gets a giant ovation the first time he walks out on the field because he's going to be the good soldier and he did all he could and he played hurt and now he's back and all this. And the team looks bad. If he gets moved, he's basically telling his next team and his next city, I'm going to give you every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears in my body. You're getting the best Baker Mayfield that you could ever find and I've, and I've got a chip on my shoulder past that. So he does these things both ways. I'm more sympathetic to Baker despite the fact that he can be so polarizing because I just felt like the Browns leaked this, this stuff that got to Mortensen about an adult in a room and all this kind of stuff. That stuff is pretty terrible. And it just felt like it was egregious and over the top. It's like, yeah, they were looking for their next wife while they were still married when it came to the quarterback situation, then it looked like they were out on the Deshaun thing, and then they were going to pull back and hold Baker back. The Browns looked awful. They looked terrible. But just to the football point, I'm not sold on the fact that Baker Mayfield can't be, you said serviceable. Do I think he's a Super Bowl quarterback? Not really. If you look at him from a statistical standpoint, and if you listen to people that break down film for a living, they say if at his size and with his athleticism, he's got to be perfect with his throws. His location, his timing platform, all those things have to be flawless because he has some other things that aren't going for him. He's not as mobile as some guys. He doesn't do anything spectacularly well. His accuracy is not necessarily exactly what you want it to be. It's not Drew Brees. It's not bad, but it's bad enough here and there that it can cost you a game. Because I've come to the realization, Aaron, that Half a dozen plays separates a really great quarterback from a merely pretty good one. It's the it's the great quarterback that can make the six throws under pressure in the moment, throw a guy open, and it's that margin for error that wins the Super Bowl for Matthew Stafford and gets Jared Goff beat and shipped out to Detroit. But I don't think there's any reason to believe that Baker Mayfield can't go into Indianapolis and potentially lead them to the playoffs considering the talent that's around him. I'm not entirely out on Baker Mayfield. I think this is the truth. I don't think he's as good as people thought he could be as the first overall draft pick, but I don't think he's as bad as many people believe him to be today. As usual, the truth is in the middle. 
I think that's all totally fair. I think that's all totally fair. And, you know, I think you hit on so many things in that, you know, response that to me, like, I look at it and I think it's a few things. One, I've been on board with you. You and I were on air uh, after, I think it was maybe even during that Packers game on Christmas Day. And and that, to me, is still the night that it felt like anybody that was still on Team Baker, whatever, that was the moment that it felt like everybody went off. National TV game, 25 million people somewhere in that neighborhood watched that game. And he threw three interceptions. And if you remember that game, Aaron Rodgers didn't play well, but Baker Mayfield just kept giving the ball back to the Packers and they still had a chance to win late. So that was when I think a lot of people turned on Baker, but that was when I kind of turned on Kevin Stefanski and said, this guy's killing your team right now, man. And as a player, he wants to he wants to be on the field and he wants to play. And I'll never blame a player because uh, they're always going to think that they can figure it out. They always are going to think that they can get on the field and be the difference. And you don't want to lose, you don't want to give up your job because somebody else could come in and take it. So really quick, you just mentioned Indianapolis. To me, that's the most logical landing spot. I mean, obviously we know New Orleans still probably needs a quarterback. Uh, Seattle has weirdly kind of stayed in the news as seemingly being interested in not being into a rebuild, even though they probably should be. Is it to assume it feels like Indianapolis is the smart bet right now, although I know they're still in the the market for uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, but it feels like that's the one that makes the most sense to me. If I had to predict today, Baker goes to the Colts, Garoppolo goes to the Panthers. Sure. That's just a guess. Seattle, there are reports out there. Seriously, folks, listen to this. There are reports out there, numerous reports. You've seen I've seen this in multiple spots and heard multiple people mention it. The Seahawks, there are people within their facility and their building that believe Drew Locke is actually the answer. I've heard that. <laughs> I, I I'm here to tell you. As a Denver Broncos fan, good luck with that. I, 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 maybe they're trying to snow people over, and they're trying to make there's there's some long term plan here, some crafty idea or something like that. I think Baker has kind of, without saying it clearly and directly, he wants to go to Indianapolis. Seems like his people have made it clear, and I don't think Indianapolis can necessarily do better unless they could get Matt Ryan. If they could get Matt Ryan, then maybe you have that talk. But now that Atlanta's not getting Deshaun, I can't imagine they're going to run with anything other than Matt Ryan going forward. So Baker then becomes the best option because I think Baker's upside potential, if he's in the right scenario and is able to come back healthy and you've got Frank Reich, and if it it clicks somehow the way that it didn't in Cleveland – his upside might be better than Jimmy Garoppolo because Jimmy Garoppolo is a safer version of Carson Wentz that's a much better teammate. Is that enough? Maybe. Baker's a more exciting player. I think one of those two guys ends up there, and I just look at it and I think think to myself, I just don't believe the Baker Mayfield we saw in 2021 is the apex of this guy's career. And if I could have a chance to have his second landing spot... With him with a chip on his shoulder, coming in with a young football team with a solid defense, good structure, solid general manager, I would like my chances to potentially be a turnaround spot for him. This is Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. We will continue the conversation coming up. uh, NFL and much more with... Our buddy Bernie Fratto, he'll join us. We'll talk NCAA tournament, some of this NFL news that has broken over the last few days. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio.
Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Busy Saturday night. If cold candidate calls aren't turning into hot hiring leads, then you need Indeed. Because Indeed's powerful hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all from one place. Find your next great hire visiting Indeed.com slash credit. Speaking of Indeed, with the tournament in full gear, be sure to check out the Bracket Challenge standings at FoxSportsRadio.com for Fox Sports Radio's Million Dollar Bracket Challenge powered by Indeed. All right. You know what time it is. Let's head out to the phones. We hear him at the top of the hour, straight out of Vegas. We also hear him every week at this time. Bernie Fratto is on the phone. Bernie, how you doing, man? Well, gentlemen, to uh, give the St. Peter's accomplishments some perspective, their head coach, Shaheen Holloway, his annual salary is three hundred grand, and the entire budget for St. Peter's basketball is $1.9 million. Conversely, John Calipari makes $8.6 million himself. Kentucky's budget is $29 million. And by the way, if you had St. Peter's on the money line Thursday, $100 bought you back $1,600. And if you had a ticket on St. Peter's before the tournament and they win this thing, $100 will bring you back 10000 So, Burn, take us in. Vegas this week, I, I can already imagine. But go ahead, tell us what the scene's been like. It's absolute pandemonium i've been here 12 years i've been here but never seen anything like it uh there's a new thing now let's say you wanted to reserve a seat and by the way these are beautiful seats big bark laundries over at caesar sportsbook 400 dollars a piece wow. opening day just to reserve your seat at 8 a.m on thursday an hour and a half before tip off the blind of the betting windows was at least 100 feet long so it is off and running. We will definitely set a new handle. I was over by the South Point today. It was jam-packed. You couldn't even hardly find a seat. And uh, this will be the most successful March Madness turn uh, tournament ever uh, from a Vegas standpoint. Bernie, how, how much money was lost on Kentucky? Can you even, can you even begin to describe just, just how badly people took a bath on that one? Well, big time. Actually, they were a good question because Thursday, not just Kentucky, and at the end of the day, the bookmakers were not calling it St. Patrick's Day. They were calling it St. Peter's Day <laughs> because there was so much money the books made on that game, but not just them. Richmond won outright as a big underdog. New Mexico State won outright as a sizable underdog. Then it continued on Saturday with Notre Dame and then Cal State Fullerton and Wright State. Underdogs 9-2 and two in the last 11 games Saturday. Colgate, Davidson, Chattanooga right down the line. Today, no different. North Carolina comes out of the gate, wins outright as an underdog. Michigan wins outright as an underdog. Dogs covering right and left, whether you had Memphis, you name it. It's been a dog day weekend. So, Burn, I saw an interesting story. I meant to send this to you before. I know you saw it, though. Uh, going to the NFL. Uh, so, earlier this week, I found this very interesting. Last week, we discussed the situation with Calvin Ridley. That needs no further explanation. But I'm assuming you saw this story. Jay Cornegay from the Westgate basically said that a few days before Tom Brady officially announced his re- uh, return to football, somebody came in and put a pretty hefty bet on the Bucks to win the NFC and also to win the Super Bowl, then doubled down or, or put a similar bet down the next day. Uh, and Jay Cornegay from, from the West Book has called for an investigation. I'm curious, I assume you've seen the story, yeah. and, and I'm curious, where is the line, Bernie? I mean, where is the line from? It, it's obvious if a player, uh, a team personnel, that yes, uh, accountability has to be taken care of, but where do you draw the line between somebody that might have access to somebody versus a player coach? 
coach, somebody that obviously can't be betting on football. Well, there's a lot, hell of a lot to unpack there. First of all, Jay Cornegy is a good friend of mine. I've been on betting panels. Here's what happened, as you just described. Uh, Tom Brady retired, and obviously the Tampa Bay Bucks odds increased dramatically. And a few days after he retired, multiple bets, multiple sizable bets were placed on uh, Tampa Bay to win the Super Bowl at odds you would never see it if Brady were still the quarterback. And not just here, it was there were uh, bets placed in other states as well. But the Westgate, the Superbook here, the, probably the most prominent sports book here in the nation. Jay does a great job. Well, lo and behold, 40 days later, Tom Brady decides to come back. The odds were summarily dropped. Currently, Tampa Bay's 8-1. to one. Before, they were much higher. Given the odd timing and the optics of what took place, it raised the question, did somebody know something which would have made Tom Brady complicit? So there is an investigation of sorts underway. Right now, there doesn't appear to be any impropriety, and it won't matter unless Tampa Bay wins the Super Bowl because we don't know who placed those bets. They were placed anonymously, and it's presumed that that person will show up and cash the bet if Tom Brady and the Bucks win the Super Bowl. Here's the rub. Gambling is a dog-eat-dog world, and the book and the player are both after the same thing, trying to find out information and access it quicker than the other guy. You win some, you lose some. Talk to Chris Andrews over at the South Point. He says, hey, if we pay out, we pay out. Them's the breaks. You win, you try to win more and you lose. The question is, was there impropriety? Did somebody know something? At this at this point, there doesn't appear to be any evidence of that. We don't know. It's kind of an under-the-radar story. But, yes, there'll be some questions that are already being asked, and I think Forbes even did a little blurb on it. So it's something to watch. Bernie, one thing I've noticed through the years, at least in recent years, is if it's not a quarterback – that gets injured and taken out of a game, the line doesn't usually move very much for other position players. So Devontae Adams gets traded. That's a pretty significant move for both the squads involved. I don't know what Green Bay is, as good as Aaron Rodgers is without Devontae Adams because he's been responsible for 50 touchdowns, by far the most in the NFL between one quarterback and one receiver over the last four seasons. And then the Raiders... You would think they got significantly better with Devontae Adams, but the lines didn't move that much. So is it still true that outside of quarterbacks, there's still just not much effect on Vegas lines from other positions? True. And not only take the first part of the question, if Green Bay were playing the Raiders and Green Bay was a seven-point favorite and uh, Devontae Adams was announced he wouldn't play that game, the line probably wouldn't move. And when it comes to futures bets, it's affected even less because there's so much dead money sitting in there. And when it comes to futures bets, you're up, you're up against the field. So the Raiders are still 40 to 1. And remember, they're in a pretty good division. The Chargers are 16 to 1. The Broncos are 14 to 1. And the Chiefs are 8 to 1, only behind the Buffalo Bills, who are now plus 650. They are the favorite to win the Super Bowl in part because they got Von Miller. And this makes an elite defense even more elite. But to your question, yes. Unless it's a quarterback and it's a star top flight quarterback, you're not going to move the line. And usually before the season every year, I talk about the point differential versus a starting quarterback versus a non-starting quarterback. For instance, if Patrick Mahomes doesn't play, it's probably worth eight points to the line in that game. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't play, it's probably worth seven points to the line and right on down. 
Burn, last one for me. Just in general, um, you know, reaction to the Deshaun Watson news of yesterday. And in, in a loaded AFC, what does it mean for the AFC playoff, Super Bowl, all that, all, all the odds and all that kind of stuff? Again, it hasn't, you know, it, Cleveland did move up. They're now 14 to 1. But what's interesting is everybody talks about the AFC West. I think the AFC North, and I'm going to talk about that tonight as well. He's still got to go up against, um, you know, Lamar Jackson in, in Baltimore, and he's got to go up against Joe Burrow in uh, in, uh, in Cincinnati. And Pittsburgh, by the way, you know, I don't know why people pick on uh, Mitch Trubisky. He's not exactly chop liver either. He's 25 and 13 the last three years, went to the playoffs two out of three years, 66% touchdowns. So this has to play out. But to the, you know, I'll tell you what's interesting. Mattress Max seems to move the line. And you talk about Arnie being a jinx. I think Mattress Max a jinx. He, he played, he, he, he put down a million dollars that the East region entrant would win it all. And Baylor got knocked out today. They were the number one seed. You still got UCLA in there and North Carolina. So we'll see. But uh, obviously this kind of rages on. But to your point, a lot of these lines don't move that much because the markets, it would take a heck of a lot of money to make to make a line move like that based on one player. He's Bernie Fratto. You can hear him at the top of the hour straight out of Vegas. Also, make sure you're following Bernie on Twitter, at Bernie Fratto. Uh, I'll actually be joining Bernie here in his show to talk a little bit of college hoops. So, Bernie, we appreciate the time. I'll be talking to you soon. Have a great show tonight, and uh, we'll speak with you next week. Okay, thank you, guys. Bernie Fratto, straight out of Vegas. Uh, make sure you're following him on Twitter, at Bernie Fratto. And more importantly, make sure to listen at the top of the hour. Final time tonight, let's go over to the news desk. Steve DeSager, what's trending, my man? Programming note before we get to the college hoops that NASCAR will be back on Fox TV tomorrow from Atlanta, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Rain canceled practice Friday, but it's sunny there this weekend. FS1 had the Truck Series race in the Xfinity race today. Xfinity won by Ty Gibbs, age 19. A couple of coaching items from college hoops. The new head coach at Xavier will be Sean Miller. Before he was at Arizona, Miller had five years at Xavier through 2009. Maryland will reportedly hire Kevin Willard from Seton Hall, which was just blown out last night by TCU. Top rank Gonzaga was down 10 at the half, but still beat Memphis in a second-round tournament game tonight, 82-78. Arkansas shot 28% from the floor, but still eliminated New Mexico State, 53-48. Kansas and Providence each won. They'll face each other in the Sweet 16. The Providence win was 79-51 over Richmond. Richmond from three-point range was 1-for-22. Providence was 12-for-22 on long-distance shots. Kansas win was 79-72 over Creighton. Michigan, an 11 seed, is still alive. Trailed Tennessee with about four minutes left, but beat him 76-68. Hunter Dickinson, 27 points. The Vols from three-point range, two of 18. Michigan's last three games were all in that arena in Indy, including the conference tournament. Now Michigan could be facing Ohio State in the Sweet 16 if the Buckeyes can get past Villanova tomorrow. 15 seed in the East, St. Peter's is still alive. 70-60 the win over Murray State tonight. And they'll play in Philadelphia in the Sweet 16, which is less than 100 miles from campus. St. Peter's will go up against the winner of tomorrow's Texas versus Purdue game. UCLA's Jaime Jaquez is injured, limped off with an ankle injury second half tonight after scoring 15 points in the first half. But the Bruins shot 57% from the floor and beat St. Mary's 72-56. UCLA ended the first half on a 23-9 run. St. Mary's was 3 of 16 shooting from the floor in that. Their season is done. And North Carolina blew a 25-point lead in about the last 10 minutes of regulation and still beat top seed Baylor in overtime, 93-86. Carolina with 21 turnovers, 
But the Baylor Bears in overtime shot one of 11 from the floor and lost in Fort Worth, Texas. So North Carolina versus UCLA Friday in Philly in the Sweet 16. Only four NBA games, the four home teams won. That included Washington, which had lost six games in a row and was down to the Lakers by 16. In fact, down by 14 points late in the third quarter and still be the Lakers 127-119. LeBron James had 38 points. He is now the number two scorer all time in NBA regular season history past Carl Malone tonight. The Lakers, ninth in the West. Are they even going to make the play-in at this point? Kyle Kuzma, ex-Laker, was out tonight with knee tendonitis. Cleveland edged Detroit. The Detroit Pistons are 19-52, and 52, although 40 points from Jeremy Grant in this loss. Charlotte edged Dallas. LaMelo Ball, seven assists, no turnovers, four steals. And Minnesota has won 10 of 11. It beat Milwaukee. Giannis Tenacumpo did not play due to a sore knee. In the NHL, Edmonton won its fifth straight. Nashville, 6-3 over Toronto. The Tennessee Titans acquired wide receiver Robert Woods from the Rams for a sixth rounder. He's coming back from a torn ACL. The Rams gave quarterback Matthew Stafford a four-year extension worth $135 million guaranteed. Buffalo acquired quarterback Case Keenum for a seventh rounder from Cleveland. The Browns signed quarterback Jacoby Brissett. Atlanta re-signed running back Cordero Patterson. Green Bay re-signed defensive back Rasul Douglas. Philadelphia re-signed defensive tackle Fletcher Cox to a one-year contract. The Minnesota Twins signed shortstop Carlos Correa from Houston, potentially a three-year deal worth over 100 mil. The Marlins gave a three-year deal, but it includes a couple opt-outs. But still, the Marlins get Jorge Soler, who can also DH as well as play outfield, designated hitter in the National League now. He was World Series MVP with the Braves last year. In exhibition play, Yankees tied Baltimore 3-3 and Boston 1-0 over Minnesota. And this final note, the Tampa Bay Bucks are requiring new season ticket holders to buy for two seasons, not just this year. <laughs> Does their quarterback commit for two seasons? That, what the heck? That might have something to do with that. Right. Also, new lower-level seat holders, uh, for that, a Florida ID is required. None of you out-of-staters out getting the good seats. Back to you. Thank you, Steve Sager. This is Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here Saturday night. Jason, you know, you, you just brought up Devontae Adams with Bernie. I just realized we haven't really hit on Devontae Adams over the course of today's show. There's a lot happening, Aaron. There's only four hours. We need eight to get through everything. Yes, and being on in the middle of a historic night in college basketball as St. Peter's advances to the Sweet 16. Uh, Gonzaga, not historic, but always an interesting conversation. That That's part of it, too. I mean, we're not doing Tuesday afternoon here. Uh, uh, we're, we're on, obviously, in the middle of a really fun night of college hoops. We've talked a lot of college hoops. If you missed any of it, get uh, the podcast here on demand shortly after the show goes final. With that said, uh, the Devontae Adams thing, man, I'll just be honest. Like, like I, I mean, I've done all my homework. I, I understand everything. I'm still very confused by it because I, I know you mentioned it when we when we had our guest on earlier during the show, uh, Matt Verderam, that you suggested and not you suggested, but that the idea was that Aaron Rodgers maybe knew about this or had an inclination that it could be coming and decided to resign anyway. I just I don't get it. I mean I don't get why you want to come back, why you're demanding to be. I, I don't. I'm very confused by the whole thing. I mean, what'd you make of the Devonte Adams trade here a few days ago to the Raiders reuniting with his college quarterback Derek Carr? Well, I remember over a year ago, and at the time I kind of blew it off. I, I I talked about it actually. I think on my show at the time, not my Nashville show, but but my Fox show, my overnight show, the Bernie Fratto now does after us, and 
I said I thought it was interesting, but it might just be posturing. It might be making yourself, putting yourself in the right position, your people saying. But what he said was, I don't know if he was asked a question or if he just kind of came out and said, yeah, it'd be cool to play with my friend. And he, and he talked about how they had texted about potentially playing together. And I, I talked about it, but I thought, ah, I mean, maybe we pay attention here, but I can't imagine he leaves Green Bay. Many believe he's the best receiver in football. He's unquestionably the best first three yards off the ball that you will find in the NFL. He's unbelievable. His stats are what they are, and then you certainly don't want to lose that guy. So I kind of chalked it up that way. And then this happens. And my first thought was, okay, well, Aaron Rodgers got paid, so the money wasn't there. Devontae Adams wasn't going to play wasn't going to play on the franchise tag. And Green Bay just got tired of dealing with this kind of stuff. They were so frustrated and probably just spent and exhausted from the Aaron Rodgers stuff this year after the Aaron Rodgers stuff last year that they're like, we can't do this anymore. All right, Devontae, go somewhere else. I thought maybe that was it. But then you started to think about it, and you're just like, you find out, no, they actually... And this was weird because you wouldn't necessarily want this to get out, especially if you're the agent. The Packers offered more money and he still left. Yep. That's when it gets really intriguing to me. Like the Derek Carr thing can't be all of it. I mean, that's probably, that's a cool deal and that's a fun little story. But Devontae, you guys are going to win the division if you're the Green Bay Packers. Mm -hmm. The Bears, the Lions... The two hundred thirty million dollar man, Kirk Cousins, those dudes are not taking you down. Like you, you're going to the playoffs. You went from there to the toughest division maybe we've ever seen in the history of the NFL. Great. Like think about that from that perspective, and then think about this: if you're Green Bay, you don't have to move him. You were going to call Aaron Rodgers bluff a season ago, right? Like you weren't going to move him. You controlled everything. You could either tell Devontae Adams to call his bluff and say, you play on the franchise tag, you can go home and you can forfeit $20.1 million. Do you think Devontae Adams was going to do that? You didn't have to move him. Like It didn't make sense for Green Bay because their asset is incredibly important to them. And it's incredibly important to the the, the $200 million that they've now committed to Aaron Rodgers because I don't know that they're a Super Bowl contender without Devontae Adams. I don't know who he's throwing the football to. They'll figure something out, but it ain't going to be Devontae Adams, and the draft picks that they acquired for Devontae aren't going to provide them a guy in year one or year two that's going to be what Devontae Adams is at age 29. So the Raiders gave up a king's ransom to try and hold, just just keep pace with the AFC West. I don't know what it does for them, but I know it harms the Packers greatly. And if Aaron Rodgers came back simply because of what money represents. He's not going to win, most likely, without Devontae Adams. So what exactly has all of this been for? Well, and that's, at the end of the day, that's kind of how I view it, is one of three things is true. One of three things is true, and we don't know it yet. Uh, One, Aaron Rodgers either knew and simply didn't care, which if if that's the case, then all he really cares about is money. Maybe it's two things. He either knew and didn't care, uh, because, and, and that just basically proves it was all about being the highest paid guy and that's all he cares about is money. Or two, 
the relationship that they supposedly had wasn't nearly as airtight as we seem to think it was. So, again, you know, the great thing about the media climate that we're in now, there's a lot of negative things. Somebody will get to the bottom of this, uh, whether it's uh, the athletic or somebody that covers the team will figure out what really happened. I'm fascinated because it just uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't make sense how it happened on the timeline it happened, on the timeline of Aaron Rodgers re-signing for the money that he did. I just don't get it. Curious to see as more comes out. This is Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. Saturday night, we got one segment left. We'll be back next, Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. One segment left. Top of the hour, Bernie Fratto straight out of Vegas. Get you caught up on everything from Vegas. Of course, the NCAA tournament, the shifting odds in the NFL. Much, much, much more fun sports talk conversation with Bernie Fratto at the top of the hour in straight out of Vegas. Hiring, heating up. Indeed's hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all in one place. Sponsor a post and instantly receive a short list of quality candidates on Indeed whose resumes match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. Speaking of Indeed, with the tournament in full gear, be sure to check out the Bracket Challenge standings at FoxSportsRadio.com for Fox Sports Radio's Million Dollar Bracket Challenge powered by Indeed. All right, Jason. Fun show, busy show, a uh, lot of stuff. First of all, real quick, is there anything? I think I think we officially got everything in that last segment with the Devonte Adams stuff. We got to Deshaun, we got to Brady, we talked a ton of tournament. Is there anything we missed? Anything we haven't hit on now from the course of the week? I'm sure there is. <laughs> I'm sure I mean, there is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of stuff. I mean, we barely even. I don't know that we even mentioned the NBA outside of sports updates. Um, because, well, who cares ah, right now? Yeah. There's just too much going on. There is. I mean, I, I could take a victory lap on Arnie Spanier from a few weeks ago when that was the night LeBron had 50 plus and they beat Golden State and he was trying to lure me into saying that they were going to win nine of the next 10, which he then did. Pretty <laughs> sure they haven't won nine of the next 10 since that Warriors game. But I mean, we haven't talked about the fact that Ben Simmons might not play this year Oof. after that trade and everything that's happened with Durant and Westbrook's comments this week towards the fans. and like, There's been a lot going on in the NBA we haven't talked about. There are numerous moves in the NFL. At some point, we're going to have a really fun conversation about how we would slot the AFC. And I'm afraid we don't have a long enough show to do it because there's so many teams that could potentially be there. There's so many things that we just kind of barely touched on where we could have spent much, much more time. And by the time we're here next week, we're probably going to have three or four new quarterbacks in new spots, and we can begin to look at that. Plus, we're going to be staring down the barrel of the Elite Eight determining the Final Four. Things are crazy. You know what else we didn't talk about? My boy Freddie Freeman. Oh. Leaving Atlanta. Real quick. And the story about that surrounding it, that listening to Freeman's comments just made me sad. That the Braves pretty much... It was in all they had to do was make him happy because this is where he wanted to be. And the Braves just really nonchalantly let him leave. And listening to that was really hard for me as somebody that wanted to see him play his whole career here. Well, Freddie Freeman now a Los Angeles Dodger. You're right. That was some pretty big news as the Dodgers again load up uh, what is probably, not probably, it is the most potent lineup in baseball. All right, so let's wrap the show on that then, Jason. You, you mentioned by the time we get back on air next Saturday, we could and likely will have quarterback news. 
Baker Mayfield, this time next week when we are wrapping up our show on March 26th, will Baker Mayfield officially be a, a member of a different team other than the Cleveland Browns? I believe he will be an Indianapolis Colt a week from today. That feels about right to me. It seems like the most logical landing spot, as you said earlier, it feels like that's where he wants to be. They have kind of a system that's set up to uh, accentuate what he does well. Good run game, good old line, all that good stuff with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I think I know where you're going with this. Jimmy Garoppolo will mm-hmm. be a member of who next year, if not by the end of this week? I have a feeling Carolina. That's just that's just a gut feeling. Jameis is still out there, and that needs to be figured out. I think Jameis is a guy that somebody needs to take a chance on being a starter again. He looked pretty good. He had 14 touchdowns and three interceptions for New Orleans, and maybe they're just going to hang on to him and let him be the starter there. But uh, you can look at these guys and and say, and Trubisky, you know, Trubisky's taken a lot, but and we didn't talk much about that. But Trubisky, let's just at, just ask Steelers fans this: If you got from Mitchell Trubisky what the Tennessee Titans got from Ryan Tannehill who was dead in the water after Adam Gase, just like Mitchell Trubisky was supposedly dead in the water because of Matt Nagy. Do you think Steelers fans would take it? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. So I think there's that out there as well. But if you ask me about Garoppolo, the Seahawks just seem like, I don't know what the Seahawks are doing, but I know Carolina doesn't want to run into next season with Sam Darnold making $18 million being their quarterback. So my guess is... They're going to maybe even overpay if they have to to get Jimmy G. Yeah, I mean, back is against the wall for Matt Rule. I mean, I thought that that was a spot that made sense for Deshaun Watson. Uh, he eliminated them uh, late in the week, and then, you know, much like Cleveland, and of course, ultimately came back and uh, signed with Cleveland. So we will see what happens for there. But that said, we got to get out of here. First of all, I want to thank the crew, uh, Don, behind the uh, behind the board over there. Thank you for your help, Don. Uh, producer Ricky, Steve DeSager on the updates. If you missed anything, by the way, we reacted in real time. Download the podcast. Coming up, Bernie Fratto straight out of Vegas gets you ready for another busy day in college hoops. Much more. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio.